Welcome back to Second and Short. It is February 24th, 2023, and though it is the offseason for football, and we're about to get into baseball, there's still plenty of things going on, especially in European soccer, which is going to be a big part of today's episode. We're also going to be hitting y'all, of course, with NFL news, MLB news, our top running backs in the NFL this season, and just a little treat, an athlete's nickname draft uh, near the end, and then we'll round it out with Do You Remember? Before we get into everything, I want to make sure everybody knows they got to check out the new subreddit, r slash second and short, 2nd and a-n-d short. You know how to spell short. And then, of course, follow us on all of our socials. Leave a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Make sure you're following on there. If you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Luke. Let's go ahead and get into it. NFL news. Colts GM Chris Ballard said that they are doing whatever it takes to land Bryce Young. I think this is a pretty obvious thing. Yeah, um, me too. Um, And I think, you know, I I don't know about Bryce Young, and I know you and I have talked about it before. You know, we might think that C.J. Stroud is a little bit better, but – I don't know. I, the Colts just need a young quarterback. They have Quentin Nelson. They have um, Jonathan Taylor. They have Michael Pittman. They have other guys that are good on their offense. And I think any young quarterback that lands there, they're going to be, you know, well taken care of, at least, you know, player wise, coaching wise, maybe not so much, but they'll have good teammates. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, of course, it's a, a fantastic idea to say that you're getting you're trying to get the first overall pick. I think we all understand that at this point. But I feel like, you know, it at this very moment, why commit to Bryce Young? I there's more to see from all of these quarterback prospects. The combine, you're going to be interviewing guys throughout that time, pro days, things like that. And I I feel like saying Bryce Young in particular definitely sells CJ Stroud short and and Will Levis for that, as much as I like to shit-talk him, you're selling Will Levis short as well when you fully commit to Bryce Young. Yeah, I actually didn't even think about that. We haven't even had combines yet, and I don't really think that players have been really allowed to, you know, talk to other teams in the NFL and stuff. Like, that's, you know, the players in the draft is what I'm talking about. That's kind of interesting that they've already kind of committed to Bryce Young, but I don't know. It's just that it's just that SEC thing, man. They just they think that they're all you know playing against the best talent, which they are. But I don't know. I I think you you can look at some of the other bigger divisions in college football and find players there as well. Um, and I think the yeah the Colts are kind of selling literally everybody else short. Yeah. All right, and then the Eagles and Jim Leonard mutually decided they're not going to move forward with his defensive coordinator candidacy. So Jim Leonard, uh, the uh, DC at the University of Wisconsin and the interim head coach last year at Wisconsin. Uh, he planned to undergo hip surgery and sit out coaching for a year. And then when the Eagles job opened up, both sides had interest in discussing the position, but ultimately they both decided uh, they weren't going to go ahead with it. I think that this move makes sense. Um, I think the Eagles with the team they have now, you know, the position they're in, I wouldn't go for a guy who doesn't have experience coaching at the NFL level. I'd go for a guy that, you know, whether whether it's a young guy or not, I'd like somebody with NFL experience in coaching. I think I would go with a guy who had a hip. 
That's a fair point as well. I would like my coaches to be able to stand. And it, it also kind of sounds like, you know, that, um, uh, how did you pronounce his name? Is it Linhard? Linhard. Okay. Uh, you know, he was already planning to sit out for a year and then kind of like, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like he was planning on coaching anyway. It kind of just seemed like, oh, like the Eagles opened up. I'm going to kind of like, you know, get myself ready now. I, I think it's probably a pretty good, um, you know, mutual move for both of them not to not to go for a uh, defensive coordinator job there. Yeah. All right. And then uh, uh, kind of a big problem that we've seen a lot here is the contracts and, you know, what they mean when it comes to the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And, um, I saw this on Reddit. I'm sure it was from a bigger article, but I think this is a fantastic statement. So they said that big quarterback contracts are not the problem. It's the salary cap management that causes so many problems. Because look, franchises are set up in a a fantastic way to have time to figure out where they're going to move their money when they have a young guy come in. So rookie deals are always four years. You can't restructure the deal until after year three. So you've got a three-year head start on managing the cap situation so that they can extend these quarterbacks. But it seems like over and over again, they just continue to put themselves in a bad spot when it comes to the cap. Like we see it right now. The Chargers are in cap hell and they've got to extend Justin Herbert. The Eagles might put themselves in a bad situation with Jalen Hurts because they don't quite have the money to put into him at the moment. And then, you know, the Bengals are actually in a pretty good spot. All they've got to do is maybe lose a couple guys here and there to re-sign Joe Burrow. But, you know, in a whole, it's the salary cap management by the front offices that is screwing them over when it comes to giving these guys the money they deserve as young players in the NFL. Yeah, I have, I don't really have anything to add to that. It's just, I guess it's just kind of one of those things that even though it's, um, even though we can sit here and say that it's kind of like a horrible idea and they're given plenty of time, they should be able to account for, you know, things down the road, but it's just kind of the meta to not, <laughs> I guess. Like, I, I think a lot of teams maybe get too antsy whenever it comes to throwing their money around and they're, you know, a lot of teams, they, they know how to rebuild player-wise, but I feel like in the NFL, it's kind of like a a systematic thing where not a lot of people build monetarily, if that makes sense, Grayson. So I guess it's just something that'll have to change or something that may never change. Who knows? Yeah, I think that um, this user put it in a great way, saying that they're choosing a high cash over cap strategy early in the contract. So um, putting in a ton more guaranteed cash up front and then just having to worry about that cap hit later. It's just not a recipe for success. And it's, it's just not a good idea when you're getting a guy that you want to be your franchise player, but you're putting your franchise in a bad position in the future. Yeah. And I mean, it just, it looks awful. I mean, imagine, imagine saying that you, don't have enough money for Justin Herbert. And that's why you can't resign him. Not like a mutual agreement, not like, you know, one party decided not to and the other party, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, you literally can't, and there's no choice. It's just kind of like, it's, it's stupid. They need to start accounting for that. So, you know, you don't lose your players. <laughs> yeah. Well, like right now, the Chargers are in a situation where it's, it's rather likely that they're going to end up cutting Keenan Allen. They'll probably have to cut somebody else. 
So now, just to keep your quarterback, you have to get rid of his weapons. Yeah. Um, shame. It is a shame. Let's talk about something that's pretty funny to me. I, I think I'd heard about this before, but when I saw it brought up again, I just had to bring it up. Chad Johnson, or Chad Ochocinco, says that he lived at Paul Brown Stadium for the first two seasons he was with the Bengals. He was quoted saying, I ain't want to spend no money. <laughs> I love that guy. He, he's the same guy who like only ate McDonald's like his whole career. <laughs> hey, man, saved him money. Got the protein he needed. Yeah, um, I saw another thing where like he wore fake jewelry all the time too. Like he he genuinely didn't care; just wanted to make his money, be smart. <laughs> yeah, man, he was cheap as fuck. But now he's retired and he lives a very lavish life. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've ever seen. Uh, I forget what it was called, but um, it was uh, Channing Crowder, uh, Brandon Marshall, Chad Ochocinco. They all did that podcast together, and. And in Marshall and Steven Jackson was on it too. I th- or no, not Steven Jackson. Wrong podcast. Um, anyway, Brandon Marshall and Chad Ochocinco got in like a pretty heated argument over Chad Johnson eating McDonald's all the time. And I, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting because Chad Johnson, he, he didn't play that long in the NFL. And I guess Brandon's point was that, you know, he could have played longer, but who knows? He saved some money though. It's not like Brandon Marshall had the longest NFL career. Or even the most successful. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. thought it was funny. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about coaching. So for the Chargers' vacant defensive coordinator position, they interviewed Patriots defensive line coach Demarcus Covington and the University of Houston defensive coordinator Doug Belk. Uh, Covington also interviewed with the Arizona Cardinals, and I do see this as a good move if you're going to get Covington. Uh, I think you know the Patriots are a team that is very well known for defense as much as you know Tom Brady was the star throughout that time he had elite level defenses and if you can get any coach off of that defensive coaching staff you're bringing in just you know that small piece uh, of that you know fantastic work that the Patriots have done over these last 20 years and yeah I think DeMarcus Covington would be a great pickup University of Houston Doug Belk is a solid defensive coordinator but I I think when it comes to a team that's, once again, it's kind of like what I was talking about with the Eagles, where like the Chargers are in a good position. They just need to make some changes. And I just think that, you know, this NFL experience can be very highly valued when you're in a position where like you're already a successful team. There's just things to happen. Unlike some of the other franchise, like the Char- like the uh, the Cardinals, they, they were in a bad spot. They just hired a brand new head coach. Like, of course, they're going to go pretty young. But the Chargers, on the other hand, are in a better position than them. They've got, you know, solid players across the field. They just need to figure out what they can do with them. Yeah, and the one thing about the Chargers, too, is I, I think that they they brought in a lot of big-name players um, over last offseason to their defense, you know, like J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack. They also have guys like Asante Samuel Jr., who came from the draft. Uh, the Bosa or one of the Bosa brothers, Joey, right? Is yeah. The one who plays yeah. The Joey. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, and Derwin James. And I think, you know, uh, a guy who came from the Patriots, like Demarcus Covington, the, the one thing that I've always said about the Patriots is they have never been like a Hollywood, like box office type of play, you know, like they don't have like the box office players. They're just a collective well-coached group. And I think that's what the Chargers defense has potential to become. You know, you have all that talent that I just mentioned. They all just need to come together. 
Yeah, I I honestly think that if the Chargers want to put themselves in a better position, especially defensively and from the cap, I think they got to move Joey Bosa. Really? Yeah, I, I just... Uh, look, he ha- he's a, a defensive rookie of the year winner. And that's about it. I feel like his impact is not seen as much, except for when he's losing his shit, throwing his helmet on the ground and getting flags called on him and crying to the refs. Like, that's what we see of Joey Bosa now. Where it used to be, where we saw him like getting a sack, you know, pushing over an offensive lineman, like doing like this extremely impressive stuff on the defensive line. Now it just seems like he's nowhere to be found unless he's getting himself in trouble. I agree with the points that you've brought up, but I think out of anybody on this defense, I would want to lose to get out of cap hell. And I know you just signed him. It would be Khalil Mack. Um, he, in my opinion, he took a huge drop off um, coming to the chargers from Chicago. And, and I just think that he wasn't really that effective. So might as well get him off the team now rather than let him sit um, and take up all that cap. So I, I would go with Khalil Mack, but I understand the Joey Bosa as well. Yeah. I think that Khalil Mack does offer a little bit more, you know, outside of just like getting numbers on the field. He's a veteran. He's played now in, he, he's already played in that division for a, a long time. He played with the Raiders for a while. And then just his experience in general as a football player, he, he what, he won a defensive player of the year, correct? That's a good question. I, I, I think he did uh, when he was with the Raiders, but you know, in general, he has been a great defensive player throughout his career, and having that kind of leadership, whether he's putting up the numbers you'd like or not, he's still Khalil Mack. He's still going to have to occupy some def- or some offensive linemen. Like he has an impact on a football field and in a locker room. Whereas Joey Bosa, yes, he has an impact on the football field, but he has a negative impact on your locker room. So, yeah, uh, Khalil Mack actually did win a defensive player of the year in uh, 2016. I, I forgot about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was a bad so, man in Oakland. He is. Dude, I almost forget that he was even uh, in fucking Oakland. It feels like he's been in Chicago forever. I, you brought up a poor memory that I forgot about. He's <laughs> out of Buffalo, too. Ow. Wait, he was in Buffalo? That was the college he went to. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you meant he played for the Bills. I was like, I forgot no, about no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he did, he did go to Buffalo. Buffalo. Mac, baby, stand up. <laughs> nice. All right. Let's go to one of the official coaching moves now. Um, when I was taking these notes, he was interviewing, but Vance Joseph has been hired as the Broncos defensive coordinator. Uh, he interviewed with the Eagles uh, the other day. He also met with the Broncos and was their top candidate for the defensive coordinator job. He officially this morning, I believe it was around noon, um, was hired as the defensive coordinator for the Broncos, and I think this is a fantastic move. I talked about how you wanted a younger guy with an older coaching staff, but Vance Joseph's kind of the best of both worlds. He's a seasoned coaching veteran, but he really hasn't been in the league all that long, especially compared to some of the other guys that were being talked about for this job. So I think Vance Vance Joseph is kind of the perfect in-between of a young guy who needs to learn and maybe an old guy that's kind of stuck in his ways. I think it's a good pickup too. I mean, that Broncos defense was the one thing keeping them alive um, for the first half of the season. They were, they were 
definitely a playoff defense, I would say. And adding Vance Joseph just kind of like gives them a different aspect, I think. It's going to make them a lot better, um, and they'll have the whole offseason to get acquainted with them. Like I said, that Broncos defense is uber talented, super underrated with how their record was last year. I think they'll be great. Yeah, and I, I honestly forgot until like right now that Vance Joseph was the head coach of the Broncos for two years in 2017 and 2018. So obviously he had a bit of a connection, though that franchise has completely changed since he was there. Um, I think that's a fantastic move, and getting away from Arizona is also a fantastic move. Yeah, Arizona's kind of a dumpster fire, of course. One would argue that he's now hopping into a different dumpster fire, but I don't know. The Cardinals, I think their their dumpster fire is pretty underrated, Grayson. Um, it, it's flying under the radar, I think, of how bad things actually are there, and he jumped ship, and he's landing on a Denver team that – I've always said they have weapons on both sides of the football. They just need the coaching to bring it all together and a new quarterback. But, you know, they're stuck with him for, probably, what, 15 more years? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But uh, let's talk about Aaron Jones. I think he made uh, an interesting decision, but a, a good one in my opinion. Uh, so he reduced his maximum pay in 2023 by $5 million dollars. And he more than doubled the money he'd lose for any game he misses. It was originally at 23529 per game. That moves up to 52000 almost $53,000 per game that he misses that he'll lose. And I think this is Aaron Jones not only being you know, loyal to the Packers and saying, look, I will do what it takes to keep this team together, give money to other guys, bring somebody in. Whatever that be, he is making that decision and in, in being a leader in this decision with all the shit going on with Aaron Rodgers, who, by the way, today he came out of his darkness retreat. No, nothing else has come out of it, but he is back from Oregon. And I just, I think that Aaron Jones is doing this not only to gamble on himself, but to gamble on this team, see what this franchise will do. He's giving them some extra money, see what they can do, play with it a little bit. And, and hopefully this Packers team can, maybe bounce back from a very disappointing season and possibly perform, you know, even just similar to that if they do lose Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to be a good team if they lose Aaron Rodgers, but that, that has to be what this whole um, pay cut is for, right? I mean, it has to be to get Aaron Rodgers back. Yeah. And this is a, also just a huge gamble by Aaron Jones, which I really like. I think that's a fantastic idea is, you know, you, you get the, you have one year left on, on your deal. Restructure your contract. Make it to where you have to be on the field. Because think about it. If he misses two games, which I think is what he missed last year, he's missing out on $100,000. I don't care how rich you are. You don't want to miss out on $100,000. <laughs> oh, and um, and another thing that I wanted to bring up is it, it's it's very admirable by Aaron Jones, in my opinion, and it really shows his loyalty, like you said. But kind of add another aspect to it is you and I Grayson have shit on the Packers scheming for Aaron Jones and even AJ Dillon all of last season he's not used to his full potential at all in my opinion yet you know he still wants to stay here and he's taking a big gamble you know to stay here as well uh, or stay in Green Bay and in my opinion Aaron Jones has every reason to leave and go be a superstar making superstar money elsewhere but he loves it in Green Bay and he's taking this pay cut it's pretty cool yeah, uh, it's it's commendable stuff right there from Aaron Jones. You know, this Packers team needs a leader right now because, you know, their leader is 
just now leaving his hobbit hole in in Oregon. But I, I think that this is not only a showing to the Packers organization, but to every organization that will most likely be courting him in free agency next year. Yeah. Um, it looks like he's sticking in Green Bay. I, I don't I don't know how it'll work for him because I, I think, you know, this move is him holding himself back, I think, from his full potential. But like I said, truly respectable that he's, you know, taking the pay cut and sticking with his team. All right. Well, let's talk about an interesting text message that J.J. Watt, who recently retired, uh, received the other day. Um, the message reads, this is Dylan on behalf of the NFL. You've been selected for a HGH dry blood spot test. Please give me a call or shoot me a text when you can. Thank you. He's retired. What? Why are you trying to drug test him? It's all those sacks in the Super Bowl, man. I don't know. The NFL is just a joke. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, <laughs> J.J. Watt hadn't... He, first of all, he hasn't played a game since the regular season because the Cardinals suck. And on top of it, he's retired. Like, get off his dick. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I have nothing. I, I have nothing to say about this one. I, I just don't. I, people have been shitting on the drug test for forever now. DK got drug tested for that clip. Yeah, I know. Me and me and Brock just... talked about it on Wednesday's episode. It was like, okay, he wins the he wins the MVP of the All Star Celebrity Game in the NBA. And then the, the that clip came out the day before of him jumping 10 feet in the air, which is obviously fake. And then, you know, gets a message on Monday morning saying that he has to take a drug test. Yeah, it's unbelievable. All right, well, let's talk some injury news here for 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. Uh, he visited with his doctor today. Uh, I, I believe it was actually Wednesday. Um, and he recommended postponing the surgery because uh, he's still got some inflammation in the elbow. Um, so they'll, you know, reassess this in early March, but all signs continue to point to a UCL repair, uh, that'll have him ready for the 2023 season. So the problem I see here is, will he be ready by the preseason or, or even just training camp, anything like that? Because look, I, I get that Brock Purdy was fantastic in, in the games he played last year, but Trey Lance is healthy. Why would he not be starting if you don't get to see any Brock Purdy before the season starts? I love how you brought that up because the 49ers, you know, they might lose Garoppolo. It, it sure is looking that way, but loaded with quarterbacks, completely loaded with quarterbacks. And personally, if I was the GM or the head coach of my football team, Brock Purdy doesn't, if we don't get to see any of him in preseason, especially with Trey Lance on the bench, like you mentioned, Trey Lance is my week one starter. And, I mean, I definitely would plan for Brock Purdy to take over, but he's got to at least practice for a week, right? Or even longer? I Yeah, I I, I'd have to give him a little while because, yeah, he's going to get the surgery. Let's say he gets the surgery in April. So he's getting Tommy John surgery in April. I'd say that he's probably shooting for September is his comeback. And that's quick. Yeah, um, I know week one is usually played in September, and I'm pretty sure preseason starts in August. But I, I understand, like, you know, a surgeon recommending, you know, postponing it. But I always kind of thought that for most injuries in football, usually you kind of want to do their surgery, like, 
if it's a Sunday game, you do it Monday. And you know, here it's been it's been weeks. Uh, has it been months? Um, yeah, I think we're like just pushing up on a month. Gotcha. But, well, and they keep waiting. And this is a pretty serious injury. It's on his throwing arm. It's in the elbow. Ben Roethlisberger had something similar, of course, at a different age. But, you know, this is a pretty important injury. And I think a lot of people are overlooking, you know, what it could mean for week one 49ers football. I think so. But the primary thing you have to look at is the the safety of Brock Purdy here. If you do this surgery and the inflammation in his elbow is a, a problem, then do the surgery, it's going to just swell back up and that could cause future problems or he won't fully recover from this injury. So you have to really play your timing right. So I understand waiting here, but, and I agree with you, I would love nothing more than for Brock Purdy to be healthy as early as possible. But if it's not realistic, don't push it. I feel like with Brock Purdy, a rookie, he's got time to come back. Just let him yeah. come back. Yeah, and who knows? Trey Lance may not even be that bad, but you know, I definitely Brock Purdy's—he's a big investment. You know, this is this isn't something that you want to rush. It's just like I don't know. They they've been postponing it. I feel like you know a long time now, and it's still not gotten better. So I kind of wonder when it's going to be you know a little bit more crucial and more of like a time crunch kind of concern. Yeah, I, I have a feeling the 49ers franchise is going to play it slow. Because like you said, they're loaded with quarterbacks. You know, you yeah. go into week one, most likely Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo are still there. Um, unless, you know, unless Brock Purdy is going to be back, like for sure, by the beginning of the season, Garoppolo and Trey Lance will be there. I just think that once Brock Purdy comes back, if he looks good, one of them goes, most likely Garoppolo. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Derek Carr. So he visited with the Jets on Monday. Supposedly went really well. He said the Jets made it super personal. Uh, they said, we believe if you come to New York and win, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. What the fuck are they thinking? They're really like, they're really stroking his ego here because there ain't a, like, he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer when hell freezes over. <laughs> For the viewers, I just want to repeat what Grayson just said. <laughs> Jet said, in regards to Derek Carr, we believe if you come to New York and win, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> How dare they I mean, lie to a man of God? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it would be going into an awesome young, you know, situation. They have James Robinson. They have Brees Hall. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's another running back on this team. That Donovan I'm Knight. Yes. Um. And, you know, they, they have a young core. They have guys like Corey Davis who are decent wide receivers and, you know, a young O-line, but no way, right? There's no way Derek Carr could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. No. Way. No. No shot. There's no chance in hell that Derek Carr, even if he went, like, okay, only scenario. He goes to New York. He plays there for, like, ten more years, and he wins, like, eight Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we've seen it before. You know, and guys like Matthew Stafford, who spent his whole career with the Lions, changes teams and, you know, wins a Super Bowl. But Derek Carr, I, I don't know, because with Matthew Stafford, you could tell that he was good just in a bad situation. Derek Carr, in my opinion, has been the one thing keeping the Raiders 
and mediocrity um, it, from a, like in a mediocre, they're a mediocre franchise. I, I'm getting stressed here because <laughs> this is this is egregious, Grayson. It's been the one thing he's had a players all around him his entire career and decent coaches, I think. He's he's kept them mediocre the entire time. I don't get it. He's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, never will be. No, no chance. I don't even think he'll be a Hall of Famer. I think that if he kept up, like, okay, let's say he improves in New York, maybe he gets one Super Bowl. Still not first ballot to me. I think that these first, what, he's been in the league eight years, I think. These first eight years have kind of tarnished that for him. It doesn't matter. Like, from here on out, people will still remember these first eight seasons where he was with Oakland and, you know, Las Vegas, whatever, the Raiders franchise. And it will be clouded by interceptions and just all around bad play. They've only made the playoffs, I think, twice. And each time they're a wild card. Like, Derek Carr is not a winner at this point in his career. No, and he's had guys, Grayson, like Devontae Adams, Amari Cooper, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, and I'm sure I'm missing a plethora of more play or a plethora of other players, but like there's no way. And even if he did win a Super Bowl with the New York Jets, I think it would just be as um, you know, kind of like a role playing quarterback. He's not gonna be the reason they go or win the Super Bowl. So I don't know, that's a pretty that's a pretty ridiculous promise from New York there, but I guess that's what you would want to hear. I don't know. Yeah. And Coming off the back of them being very interested in Derek Carr. Now the Jets are waiting for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> and the Jets will be speaking to Green Bay about a trade if the Packers are willing. So you're going to say this to Derek Carr. And then you're probably going to trade for Rodgers. Yeah. Strange. That's kind of, I don't know. I think the Jets are just doing some some dirty work over there. They are. <laughs> they really are. All right. Let's talk about something almost as interesting. Todd Munkin, new Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator, was talking was asked about uh, Odell Beckham Jr. He said, I really like Odell. He's like every skill player. He's no different. I don't know why everyone gets pissed off. It's like he wants the ball. Well, really? I don't know where I've been uh, a great player. Wait. Oh, sorry. I don't know where I've been. A great player. I Okay, this quote is obviously just wrong, but um, he was pretty much just saying he hasn't coached a great player that doesn't want the ball and then ended it off by saying that Odell Beckham is a tremendous talent. Okay, so just this whole quote in general, when I read it, I, like my mind was just broken because he says he's like every skill player. And then he ends it off with he's a tremendous talent. Those are just the opposite thing. What do they call that? An oxymoron? Jumbo yes. Shrimp? Yeah, I, like that. I don't. I don't understand it. I, I didn't even really, you know, think of it as far as the quote. I just kind of like. I don't think Odell would want to come back to the AFC North, and Ravens are not a passing team at all, especially if they keep Lamar. Um, maybe Todd Munkin would kind of open that up, but I think Odell. Uh, I read a quote. You know, this was a long time ago when everybody thought he was going to sign with the Cowboys, but wants to sign somewhere where he can chill. I can see the Ravens maybe like for one or two years, but that's, I don't think that's what Odell really wants. Yeah. I, I think that I'll, I'll be honest. I think the Ravens would be a decent landing spot for him mainly because I don't want to target Odell a lot, but I know he's a pretty reliable receiver. 
So when you do have to throw the ball, it'd be nice to have an Odell Beckham on your team. I don't think he should be a wide receiver one at this stage right now in his career. A couple of years out of the league, you know, just hopping on squads at the end of the year. Like, that's not what I want to see out of a number one wide receiver. But I do understand the allure of bringing him into this Ravens offense because if they do keep Lamar, you know, you only really have to target him, what, you know, seven to ten times per game. The rest of the targets would go to Mark Andrews and you just let Lamar play his game, but you give him a reliable wide receiver. Yeah, I don't doubt that Odell would be a great fit for Baltimore. I just don't think that personally he would want to stick with them his entire career. I think he's gonna be he's gonna want to be a wide receiver one. He's gonna want a lot of targets. He's gonna want to play with a um in, in a passing offense with an elite quarterback. I don't really think that's you know what the Ravens have to offer. They have the elite quarterback, but not the passing offense. But I do think Odell would be dangerous with this offense. I'm just not too sure if it's what he would want. Yeah, and Todd Munkin, you know, regardless of what he just said about Odell, he wasn't mixing any words talking about Lamar Jackson. His quote uh, when asked to describe Lamar Jackson, he said simply, elite. Yeah, in other words, come back and play for me. Yeah, like please. Uh, Todd Munkin saying that Lamar Jackson is elite is Todd Munkin getting on his knees and begging Lamar Jackson to come back. I mean, shit, you could even say that about the Odell thing and tying that in with Lamar. Hasn't Lamar always kind of been a little bit bitchy in regards to, like, who his receivers were and how he never had any? Yeah, like, all he's ever had really is Hollywood Brown. Yeah, and I mean, Bateman's a good young talent, but, you know, he I wouldn't even say he's near as close to Odell. No, Odell. and neither is Devin Duvernay. All, he, all that yeah. Lamar Jackson has had is Mark Andrews, really. Consistently, yeah. All right, let's move on because this one kind of confuses me even more. Um, The New York Giants have been very clear that they are planning for Daniel Jones to be their quarterback and that he is their priority. So they're working on a long-term deal with Daniel Jones, and then they will figure out Saquon. How the fuck are you going to sit around and let Saquon wait on the contract (laughs) negotiation of Daniel Jones? Ah, I don't know. I mean, the argument about running backs is you never want to pick them in the first round. You never want to lock them up to long-term deals because, you know, they just kind of burn out. Maybe they think that Daniel Jones is a higher, you know, potential and a higher upside for them in the future. But this is pretty egregious. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. Like, look, I get it. I've talked glowingly about Daniel Jones this whole season. But. You picked Saquon Barkley third overall. How in the fuck are you just going to be like, oh, well, we need Daniel Jones more than we need Saquon? No. Saquon, like, as much as he's, you know, kind of been in and out and didn't have, like, a fantastic statistical year, Saquon is your best player. He is your franchise player. Yeah, that is true. Um Maybe, you know, kind of going back to what you just said, like statistically, um, and especially in the second half of the season, they were kind of phasing Saquon out. Um, You know, in my opinion, he wasn't getting the carries he deserved. He wasn't getting the targets in the receiving game that he deserved. Maybe they kind of think that they can turn into like a Baltimore-esque offense and not have a superstar running back, maybe have like a couple decent ones and have Daniel Jones at the helm. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I think that, 
this is just looking more and more like they're going to franchise tag Saquon, which I think is bad for the future because that means that, you know, not that the franchise tag is a bad thing, but when you put it on a star player, they don't like it and it pushes them away. That's that's why Le'Veon Bell would help hold out and shit like that is because he hated being franchise tagged. Yeah, well, like that's what happened with Kirk Cousins. That's like yep. not saying that Kirk Cousins was elite at all when he was with the Redskins, but like that's why he had such a problem with that franchise because they wanted to franchise tag him. That's why the whole like you like that thing to to the GM, like all of that. That's why that all happened is because he got franchise tagged. Yeah. The interesting stuff, though, I mean, Saquon, you know, at this point in his career, he's still your guy. He's still young. Like I said, you know, maybe, maybe you know, New York kind of accidentally found what they want their offense to look like, and maybe it doesn't involve Saquon. Maybe they want to put their money elsewhere, more towards their defense maybe, more towards wide receivers even. Yeah, you, I mean, I have a, a, an interesting hypothetical here for you. Next season, let's say Aaron Jones is a free agent. And Saquon is a free agent. Would you take Aaron Jones for a little bit less money than Saquon? A hundred million percent. I we, agree. We do not know. We're going to talk about Aaron Jones um, in our top 10 running backs. I hope he made my list and I'm going to bring up an interesting stat about him. Um, I, I truly, I, I think the Packers Grayson are holding Aaron Jones that, that like they're holding him back that much. I truly don't think we know how good Aaron Jones can be. Yeah, I, I agree. We've seen him play extremely well the last couple of seasons. He's been one of the top running backs in the league. This year was a little bit weird, just uh, in a hole for the Packers. But yeah, I, I think that if you could kind of get a little bit of a discount on Aaron Jones, if you're paying him less than you're paying Saquon, I think he would fit this offense really well. Not saying that Saquon can't do much, you know, out of the backfield, but Aaron Jones is a fantastic receiving running back. Saquon is a, a great all-around running back as well, but I think Aaron Jones, when it comes to the balance of running and receiving, he is better than Saquon. Yeah, I agree. And if you want to completely disregard him for an entire game and lose it, Aaron Jones seems to be fine with that too. So I would go with Aaron Jones. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Calvin Johnson. Megatron said that he is excited to be around the Detroit Lions again. He said he's excited about the COO, Mike Disner, actually reaching out, putting the effort forward to try and make that happen. That's the difference that I've not seen in the past. And that's what's happening now. And I am very happy to see that Calvin Johnson and the Detroit Lions are getting along. Yeah, me too. I know, um, I can't re really remember why, but I know the relationship was soured and it kind of led to Calvin Johnson, you know, ultimately retiring. And, you know, ever since then, it kind of felt like Calvin Johnson was, um, he, what I like to call, he went into like football hermit mode where he wasn't involved with the team that he retired from and all, or from it all, wasn't really involved with the NFL, really. And, you know, now he's being reached out to, and it seems like the relationship is being rekindled. And if you're a, a young Lions receiver, like among Raw, <laughs> imagine having Calvin Johnson at spring, at, uh, spring training. It, I mean, awesome. Or, no. What do they call it? Summer workouts. Summer workouts, yeah. But I, I feel like Calvin Johnson, you know, coming back to this Lions team that's young, it has potential. I feel like it's going to be, you know, really good to have him back around. Yeah, and even if he is just like a special assistant or whatever it may be, like – 
his impact is there. He's going to want to be on the field talking to these guys, especially guys like Amon Ross St. Brown. Like he, he's a future star of the NFL if he's not already. And I think that having Calvin Johnson around will kind of teach him some things on and off the field. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Calvin Johnson was, you know, you never really heard anything bad about him. He was very football and, you know, work ethic oriented and it showed throughout his entire career, and um, he would be a great mentor, I think. So it's good for the Lions that they're doing this. All right. Well, after hearing Todd Munkin you know, speak so glowingly about Lamar Jackson, the Ravens don't seem to be uh, thinking that he's as elite as the money he wants because they're reportedly $100 million apart right now in negotiations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... Do you think that's not Lamar just asking for that much? I, the reports seem to be that he's asking for Deshaun Watson money. Okay. How much, how much does Deshaun Watson get paid? Well, I can tell you that his cap hit is going to be like 54 million. Holy fuck. So if that's any indicator, would he be, would he be more than Patrick Mahomes? Uh, I believe so. in guaranteed money. Well, I, I think the, the figure, though, is just so ironic because uh, you said that they were $100 million short. How yes. much money did Roquan Smith get signed for? <laughs> uh, I'm not too sure. It was $100 million for six years. I'm pretty sure it was his contract. I just okay, well, then, money. yes, that could be the problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so so right now, Deshaun, um, he is on a five-year $230 million contract. So... Let's say that Lamar wanted more. Maybe he's looking at like five years, probably like I'd, I'd say that Lamar is worth 50 million more in total. So five years, 280 million for Lamar. So maybe they really wanted to pay him five years, 180 million. Like that is, that is not enough for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And especially, you know, Todd Munkin talking about Odell too, which that, that could have been just, you know, just talk, but that's, I don't know. How much money do the Ravens have? <laughs> I'd assume they have enough. A hundred million dollars short though. That, I mean, that's, that's not even close. That, I mean, I mean, obviously. Right. But like, there's no, there, they must be nowhere near to agreeing on a contract then if they're a hundred million dollars short. Well, think about it. So if we go along with what I just said, where let's say Lamar wanted $280 million and they offered him $180 million for five years, that would put him at $36 million a year, that $180 million for five. That's $1 million more than what Daniel Jones just turned down from the Giants. Wow. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe it is that the Ravens are – grossly underrating Lamar Jackson. I mean, they, they have things to go off of. Um, Lamar sucks against the Steelers. Had to get that dig in there. Um, he's not really healthy in the regular season and hasn't really had much playoff success in his time. So there, there's definitely things that the uh, Ravens have as leverage to kind of knock him down. But, I mean, a healthy Lamar, you know, and the way that your offense is entirely centered around him, I definitely understand the 280. All right. Well, let's not get stuck on this one because I'm sure there will be plenty more to come out in the coming weeks. Sure. Um, let's talk about what the Raiders GM Dave Ziegler said because I think this is so stupid. Um, 
he said in regards to having a big-name quarterback this next season. He said, we might not have an immediate answer at quarterback this year. Oh, shit. Are, are you about to start Jarrett Stidham? Is that, is that what's happening? Are you guys going to start Jarrett Stidham next year when you have Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, and Darren Waller? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. And, and, like, on top of it, on the defensive side, you have a guy who, honestly, I think could be, like, a defensive player of the year candidate every year in Max Crosby. Yeah, they, um, I, if I was... You know, it, it sounds like they have no urgency right now. And what I think the Raiders need is urgency to get this quarterback in. Because like you just mentioned, they have the team. You can't you can't start Jared Stidham in a wait. You can't. Because I guarantee you Devontae Adams is pissed as hell with the decisions he has made. He probably doesn't really want to be in Oakland anymore. But he's locked up, obviously. If you start Jared, Jared Sidham, that's a pretty good way to piss off your offensive weapons. And especially, Grayson, with Josh Jacobs, you know, kind of on the fence about leaving as well and really doesn't want to play there, you know, a, a chance to bring in a big quarterback, it, that's you need to take it to keep all these other guys together. They have a good group. They just need the quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I will never understand not wanting to go after a quarterback because, like, even if it's not a fantastic move, whoever you pick up is an upgrade right now. And waiting makes no sense. Yeah, this year, I I get, you know, skipping in the draft because the Raiders have, I, I want to say, the sixth pick. So, yeah, you could get Will Levis. I don't think that's the pick for the Raiders. I don't think he fits there well. Uh, it's It's too high of a pick for Richardson but you're in a prime position for one of the best offensive tackles or offensive linemen in general in the draft. You have your pick of Paris Johnson Jr. or Peter Skaronsky. Get an offensive lineman and go after a quarterback in the offseason. Yeah, that, that definitely is their best move. Um, you know, I saw a mock draft a couple days ago that had um, Richardson going number one. What? Yes. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about this. <laughs> we got to move on. All right. Travis Kelsey was the highest graded tight end for the third season since 2016. And let's be honest. We've talked about it already. Travis Kelsey, if he is not already, he will be the greatest tight end of all time. Definitely. Um, I, I think, you know, as comparing him to Gronk, obviously Gronk has a success, but as far as just talent and tight end, you know, just raw skill playing goes. Travis Kelsey's the best I've ever seen. Definitely the best in my lifetime. Probably the best of all time. Yeah, I think when it comes down to like, not just like the intangibles, but I think that's something that he has over Gronk personally. The things that, you know, don't just develop on a football field. I think Travis Kelsey has those. On top of it, his speed, his athleticism. You know, Gronk was kind of like big, scary guy. Like, you know, like. I heard Julian Edelman talk about him on part of my take a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, yeah, he broke a guy's neck. He broke, um, oh, who was it, Vannebosch? I can't remember his first name, but um, he broke his neck. And, like, yeah, that that is toughness. Travis Kelsey is just, like, a unicorn. Kind of like what they talk about with Kyle Pitts, where it's like, okay, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he can catch, he can run. Like there, there's nothing to desire more out of Travis Kelsey. 
And I um, think that is what makes him, you know, so, like it, it, there's such an allure about him now. I, I really don't have anything else to add to that. I, I like the unicorn though. That That's a perfect way to describe him. Yeah. And look, if you have anything to say about Travis Kelsey, there's now two Super Bowl rings that will be imprinted in your jaw. I, you know, I would always hold that um, Antonio Gates and Philip Rivers, or that that was like one of the best, like just raw quarterback tight end duos. I think Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes already has them beat, and I, I know that kind of that sounds crazy that I'm just kind of saying that now. I, I think Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates are highly underrated, but these two guys here, they're Super Bowl champions and. One of them is already definitely the best tight end of all time, probably. So, yeah, I, I'd say I when know. when we're talking duos, I, I'll give them some more time, but it, it can't beat Brady and Gronk. <sighs> not not right now. No, no, probably not right now. But I, I do understand where you're coming from because that duo was underrated. Rivers and Gates, sure. fire duo. Matt Ryan, Tony Gonzalez. Good ass yes. duo, even though Tony G was getting old. Yeah, Tony, that honestly kind of weird how good Tony G was at his age. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if he had more time with Matt Ryan. Dude, I miss the days of Matt Ryan, Tony Gonzalez, and uh Roddy White. Oh yeah. Harry Douglas. Oh yeah, man. All those guys. I love Harry Young Douglas. Julio. Listen to him on the radio. Oh heck yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's move on. Uh got a little bit of Titans talk. So first, we'll talk about what A.J. Brown had to say about uh, the Titans. He said that uh, he gave the Titans signals to the Eagles because, quote, they don't change nothing. That is just hilarious. And you and I, I feel like, have maybe not mentioned this explicitly, but we have shit on the Titans before, as in, like, they just seem like a, a just a dud, like just a boring team. So I understand A.J. Brown's, you know, frustration here. Yeah, and today they made a decision that, Definitely got rid of my attention to the Titans, taking away one of my favorite players there. Uh, they cut left tackle Taylor Lewan, which is Ooh. the entire allure of watching the Titans other than Derrick Henry, and wide receiver Robert Woods to make some cap space. Uh, Taylor Lewan uh, said on Bussin' with the Boys uh, multiple times that he saw it coming. He knew he was going to be cut, um, and, and he kind of wanted to at this point. You come off with two ACLs and a PED suspension, you're going to get cut, especially with how much money he's making. So he saw that coming. Robert Woods, a um, little bit different situation. He got cut and immediately tweeted, freedom. <laughs> Whereas Taylor was like, I really hope that I made like Titans fans proud and like I really hope I did enough for you guys to like remember me. Like a very like heartfelt thing. Whereas Robert Woods, he he, he did not spare a word. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Taylor LeJuan, he's obviously spent some time in Tennessee. I think Robert Woods, that was his one and only season, right? Wasn't yeah. it just then? Yeah, Um. so I, I understand that there, but uh, I, I don't understand Robert Woods signing with them in the first place. Not not the place I'd want to be if I was a wide receiver. Um. You know, of course you had A.J. Brown, and in that era, it was pretty, you know, fun to watch, but a wide receiver on the Titans now, you're you're kind of just a blocker, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, one more piece of news here. So, uh Frank Reich, it kind of appears like he's saying the Panthers don't want Derek Carr. Cuz he was asked in a press conference if they'll be bringing Derek Carr in for a visit and he said, 
really interesting question, and that uh, he's not ready to address specifics of that. So I'm not sure if that means they've already done it and it didn't go well, or they're just not going to do it at all. But it doesn't seem like he's too interested in Derek Carr. Personally, and, and this is going to be a hot take. I I think Sam Darnold needs more time. Well, they're going to have to re-sign him because he is a free agent. Um, yeah. I did see rumors of him coming to Atlanta. Uh, in that oh, wow. case, I will not be okay with that. I will fight. <laughs> I will die on the hill that I don't want Sam Darnold here. He's not bad. I, I think that there is some promise for Sam Darnold. But he can show his promise somewhere else. I, I'm not waiting on that one. I think what, what killed Sam Darnold is I, I really liked his first couple weeks in uh, Carolina. Uh, it was the year that um, Cam Newton was the one who took him over. Um, and I felt like Sam Darnold should have had more time. I think he may have gotten hurt that season too, and then they just benched him and kept him benched. But um, th- did the Falcons have $280 million to give to Lamar, though? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting question. But, yeah, I guess the – what I would imagine is that the Panthers have already met with them and maybe, you know, maybe it was because they didn't promise him that he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to see because, um, yeah, maybe Derek Carr just has an ego about him. He does seem like a humble guy, though, so I don't think so. But let me ask you one question before we move on. Luke, who's the most overrated player in the NFL? <laughs> this is a really good question. Who do you think? I'm split between a couple of guys. Okay. My my I, I my brain jumps to Darnell Mooney. Ooh, I like that. Um, I like that. And it's just like I, I think he's a super talented guy. I'm not taking anything away from him, but like for some reason the media just thinks that he's like disgust like he's this disgusting wide receiver. He's you know, hasn't really proven anything with Chicago. Of course they they don't have the pass game for him there, but still the media attention that he gets i feel like he's really not all that great um not saying that he can't be all that great but just right now i feel like he's probably one of the more overrated players but that's you know i I don't know i feel like there's probably some more yeah mine's jalen ramsey that was i i thought about him too why is jalen ramsey he just like i think that ever since he left jacksonville and though he's done some great things with the rams I just don't think he's as good. It, it seems like everybody's kind of gotten over the fear of, of targeting Jalen Ramsey. They've kind of figured him out, and people just still keep him in the conversation. Yeah, um, I know this season he kind of he didn't really have as good of a year as you know what we normally would expect from him, and even. Last season in the play, or not last season, but the season before last in the playoffs, obviously he won the Super Bowl. But I don't know if you remember, but there were two incidences that I have never seen from Jalen Ramsey. And one of them, I think, was the uh, either wild card or divisional. You'll have to help me out here, Grayson. But they played um, they played Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And Ramsey, I want to say, was the one who got burnt to tie the game late. And then Cooper Cup bailed his ass out. And then in the Super Bowl, the play that Joe Burrow got sacked by uh, Aaron Donald on, I want to say uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, had his ankles broken by Jamar Chase on that play, and it was probably a touchdown. So, yes, yeah, uh, I, I do know. remember that. I believe they played the Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game. Okay, 
Yeah, but yeah, you know, just weird things that I've started to notice. And then, you know, last season it kind of he kind of took a season off, um, you know, to let King Sauce have his spot. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that Jalen Ramsey that that's a good overrated player there. All right, well, let's get into this list here. We've got our top ten running backs in the NFL this season. Ooh. Once again, with these lists, it is so hard to pick like that final four on that back end of that list. It is tough. Yeah. I challenge all of our viewers to sit down and do this. <laughs> yeah. Like sit down and see this entire list of guys and tell me that it's not hard to pick who's going to make that, you know, bottom three or four. Yeah. Shit. Y'all do it. Let's compare lists. Yeah. Go put them up on the Reddit. I'll post a, I'll post a topic there for you guys to talk about top 10 running backs lists. And I want to see them. Right. Um, should I start or should you start? You know what? I'm gonna start. I feel like I, I I give you I give you the start often, and you've got the first pick in our draft. So I'll go ahead and start with this list. Cool. At number ten, I have Kenneth Walker the third. Ooh, all right. Two hundred twenty-eight attempts this season for one thousand fifty yards, ten tu- or sorry nine touchdowns. The big thing I see here though is ten rushes over twenty plus yards. That really stands out here because he is one of four people to get into double digits on that in this list. Or sorry, in the league this season. And one of those wasn't a running back. That was Justin Fields. So one of three running backs this season to get into double digits. And obviously his impact on the Seahawks was immense. We talked about him all season. And I really do think he's got a future ahead of him. Obviously, I am. I said throughout the season, just to kind of mess with you more than anything, that Tyler Algier was better. <laughs> but yeah. I, I genuinely do think that Kenneth Walker is one of the best running backs in the future uh, for this for the league. And only playing 15 games compared to most of the guys that played 16 or 17, the fact that he only had 18 more attempts than guys like Ramondre Stevenson and Tyler Algier, he had 18 more attempts than in two less games and then in the in two less games than Najee he had 50 less carries and still got more rushing yards significantly um or sorry not significantly um two more touchdowns than Najee as well interesting yeah i like that pick so uh, a rook made your list sure did rookie did not make my list uh we'll say um i number 10 with Tony Pollard and for a guy that comes in a two running back system I I almost didn't put him on my list but he's he's a little bit more impressive if you you know take into account that they also have Zeke as well he also did not log in a full season but he did play 16 games under 200 rushing attempts but he still rushed for a thousand yards for the first time in his entire career also named uh, to his first pro bowl uh, in his entire career as well Average 5.2 yards per carry. That's half of a first down every time he gets the ball handed off to him. Nine uh, nine rushing touchdowns. Pretty decent in the receiving game, too, as well. You know, he had some receptions and some yards there, but he also had three receiving touchdowns. Yeah, uh, Tony Pollard was my uh, was my number 10. I like that pick. He's a guy that I kind of surprisingly left off my list. I thought he was fantastic, especially in the receiving game. That was a very underrated part of what he did for the Cowboys but like that four touchdown game he had was fantastic. But I just, I put Kenneth Walker in just, just because he is the primary running back in his system where, 
you know, yes, Tony Pollard had a fantastic year, especially considering the fact that he is in a two running back system, but I want to see him be the number one guy. I think a lot of people do, especially in Dallas. <laughs> All right, let's get to number nine. I've got Travis Etienne. Um, ninth okay. in rushing yards this season, 220 carries for 100 or 1,125. One of the highest um, rushes per average at 5.1. He only had five touchdowns, but I think that the leaps that he made this season compared to last season were phenomenal. Uh, the only thing kind of holding him back was his inconsistency. He had a couple of weeks where like he'd play fantastic and then he would have two carries for three yards or <laughs> like, like he had a, a four game stretch where he went 86, 114, 156, 109 with four rushing touchdowns in that stretch. And then he followed it up with 45 yards, three yards, 54 yards, 32 yards. That's, where I see the problems here with Travis at the end of this season. But I think what he showed in general across these games was phenomenal. His showing in the playoffs was great. 109 yards on 20 attempts in that wild card game against the chargers and 62 yards on 10 attempts against the chiefs in a pretty close game with the soon to be super bowl champions of that year. I think that Travis Etienne has really showed that he can be one of the best in the league this season. Yeah, that was uh, that was another good one that did not make my list, actually. Um, yeah, he, he was great. Um, <clears throat> the only reason he didn't make my list is I, I thought I would have liked to have seen him log in a full season instead of, you know, kind of just like the half season that he played. But to his credit, though, I, I feel like the kind of that, that speaks to how well he played, though, because he was not the week one starter, probably may have not even thought he was going to start at all this season. And then you know, the uh, Jaguars kind of do this surprising trade and then boom, Etienne is now your RB1 and he showed out the whole time. I mean, he, he was inconsistent at some points, but for someone that, you know, was just given the given the reins, you know, like midseason, I feel like he played pretty awesome. All right. Who's your number nine? I went with Dalvin. Huh. Cook. Yeah. Um, Another guy that I, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because kind of like Aaron Jones, who we've talked about a lot, he's in a system where he just is not utilized, in my opinion, uh, to his full potential. Played all 17 games. He had 264 attempts, uh, almost 1,200 rushing yards, 4.4 yards per carry, eight rushing touchdowns, um, also decent in the receiving game. He had two rece uh, two receiving touchdowns. Um, this guy, his good games are what – put him on the list for me, but he, I will admit that he was extremely inconsistent um, among, you know, not being in a good running back system, but, you know, I still think that his good games were awesome and that's why he made my number nine. He was pretty effective when he was, you know, rolling. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic pick. Uh, at number eight, I've got Jamal Williams. He had quite the year. Though he only had, he was 11th in rushing yards this season, 262 attempts, 1,066. It's the 17 touchdowns that are, are just flooring. Like that, he, he led the league in rushing touchdowns by four over the second place. And you could probably say that that's because the bulk of his carries or the bulk of the red zone carries for the Lions were to Jamal Williams. But 
he vastly outperformed DeAndre Swift this year, and he just kept doing it every week. I absolutely love that pick. We'll have to see if he made my list or not. Um, <laughs> my number eight, I went with Aaron Jones. And, you know, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast already, but I wanted to highlight something about him. So 213 uh, attempts, that is almost way less than anybody on my list, uh, which is egregious in my opinion. We've already talked about it. But listen, this guy, had uh, he had a 1,100 rushing yards, which is decent but 5.3 yards per carry, which is something that I wanted to highlight because technically that makes him the most efficient back uh, in the league. has more yards per carry than any other back. And, you know, on those carries, I feel like that's kind of like a... The Packers should learn something from this. But anyway, only two rushing touchdowns, which is... That's pretty low for a player like him. But 59 receptions, that's pretty high. He almost had 4,000 receiving yards. 400 receiving yards on the season, but he caught five receiving touchdowns. So super effective in the past game. Uh, yeah, I like Aaron Jones here. I mean, like I said, he was the most efficient back in the league. I think if he had more carries, he would probably be a little bit higher than number eight. But, you know, he plays on Green Bay. So, yeah, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. I Aaron Jones didn't make my list. And the main reason being, you know, outside of some inconsistencies, he still got just as many carries as Travis Etienne and Kenneth Walker. He was kind of in the same ballpark as them. They respectively put up um, three more touchdowns and seven more touchdowns than Aaron Jones. And Etienne, you know, just barely had more rushing yards. I just think that because Aaron Jones wasn't a, a key player in this offense, it kind of tarnished what I expect from him. And, you know, going into this season, I expected a lot out of him. And it just didn't show this season. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. And I understand, you know, him not making your list. But to me, I think that that standout stat of 5.3 yards per carry is is just what sticks out to me. And I think what that stat kind of means as, a, you know, in regards to his carries as well, is that he was, the talents there, just underutilized. So that's why he made my list. All right. Well, my number seven is Miles Sanders. Uh, he put up 259 uh, attempts, 1,269 <laughs> rushing yards, 11 rushing touchdowns, uh, nine rushes over 20 yards, and he was solid in the receiving game. Not super important, but, you know, he got the he had a good uh, targets to receptions ratio, which I really like uh, out of a running back, a guy with solid hands. 26 targets, 20 receptions. And no, that's not a lot, but I think that the consistency of Miles Sanders is what I like here. He's in an offense with a quarterback that runs the ball a fair amount, not as much as uh, some other quarterbacks, <clears throat> Justin Fields, <clears throat> but he still had a fantastic season, regardless of how this offense flowed. They utilized Kenneth Gainwell a lot in this offense and it definitely showed in the playoffs because Miles Sanders really didn't get the usage he should have outside of that Giants game in the uh divisional round but I just think that Miles Sanders like he really showed up this year because you know these last I, I want to say like two years he's kind of been there but he wasn't like a top tier guy in this season just something changed he did really you know kind of take his uh his established year to heart you know and he really 
definitely put himself among or put himself among like some of the best backs in the league. Didn't make my list though. So far, Grayson, you have said nobody on my list. That's fine with me. <laughs> I, I like it. It's interesting. Uh, this is where I went with Saquon Barkley at number seven, and maybe could have been a little bit higher. Maybe, but I feel like he another running back that was kind of underutilized and was you know started to get inconsistent you know towards the end of the season. He didn't really finish that hard. Kind of was a little bit meh in the playoffs. I felt like as well. So he made my number seven. All right, number six. This is where I put Dalvin Cook. I, I'm, I'm biased. I'll just go ahead and say it. Like I'm biased. He went to Florida State. He was fantastic there. One of my favorite Florida State running backs ever. But the the yards back him up. Uh, you know the stats across the board back him up. Almost 300 receiving yards, like you said. Uh, the two receiving touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns. You'd like to see more red zone activity from Dalvin Cook, but. You know, he had a couple moments throughout the season that were just fantastic. The 64-yard receiving touchdown that he had against Indy in that huge comeback. like screenplay, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, he he definitely earned those 64 yards. And and just, like, across this season, though he was underutilized and didn't have a single consecutive 90-plus-yard game, I just – I still think that Dalvin Cook is a fantastic running back. I like that pick. Um, I number six, I went with Derrick Henry. Um, 1,500 rush yards, which is very impressive. He also had 13 rushing touchdowns. That's pretty high among the people on my list. And, you know, he was kind of decently effective in the receiving game on, you know, kind of a shitty team. Uh, He also played 16 games. You know, he's been hurt a lot this season or, you know, and throughout his career, not this season. You know, he just kind of like persevered here can show that, you know, he still can play tough running back style, even as he's, you know, in year seven going into year eight. So I went Derrick Henry at number six. All right. What's going to number? I want to bring something else. I I just read this. Uh, His 398 receiving yards was actually uh, a career high for him. Yeah, well, that's what happens when there's no wide receivers to throw to. (laughs) You throw to your running back. (laughs) All right, let's get to number five. I have Christian McCaffrey at five, and I think this is really low. I think this is really low. I will 100% accept that I put Christian McCaffrey low on this list. But just hear me out for a second. I am a rushing yards guy when it comes to running backs. And... He ranked eighth in rushing yards this season. He still had 244 attempts, which puts him kind of in the same ballpark as Miles Sanders, Dalvin Cook. And Miles Sanders had like 130 more rushing yards. That's a whole game worth of rushing yards. And look, I just, I don't know what it is that put Christian McCaffrey at five on this list, but I genuinely was a little bit more impressed by the pure playing of the running back position of the guys ahead of him on my list. Okay. You know what? That's fair. Um, we'll, we'll have to, I'll, I'll respond to that more once we get to where I put Christian McCaffrey, but number five, this is where I went with Nick Chubb. Um, kind of similar to Derrick Henry in a lot of ways, but you know, less, uh, less of a threat in the past game. 
1,500 rush yards again, which is very impressive. Five yards per carry. He had 12 rushing, uh, 12 rushing touchdowns. Uh, played a full season, which is nice to see from Nick Chubb. You know, I feel like he's kind of been hurt, you know, throughout his career. Um, Nick Chubb, yeah, he was super effective all year long on a Browns team that really couldn't get anything going. So Nick Chubb made my number five. Whoa. Dude, all the things you're saying right now are just making me like completely rethink this list, but <laughs> it's getting to number four. I put Saquon. I'll just, I'll take it right okay. now. I put Saquon there. And, dude, you've got me all sorts of messed up about this list now. Look, I think that Saquon is still fantastic. He, he needs to get paid, first of all. Let's just let's not skip over the fact that he should be paid. We already talked about it. He should be the priority over Daniel Jones. But with how well Daniel Jones played, it, it's kind of surprising that Saquon got almost 300 carries because... I feel like Daniel Jones got the ball a lot more and they threw the ball a lot more than they have in the past, but Saquon sneakily had a very good season, 1300 rushing yards, 10 rushing touchdowns. That's fantastic. 338 receiving yards, though. He didn't get a receiving touchdown. It's not a huge deal. And I I genuinely think that he had, in my opinion, a more, I'm trying to think of the word because I don't think he had a better season than Christian McCaffrey. I think he had a better running back season. See, I, I think that's kind of like, you know, looking at this list because you're messing me up too. I think we kind we define our running backs differently. I like the all-purpose guys who don't necessarily need the yards on the ground. that They, they can kind of like mix it up, you know, throw passing touchdowns. Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, shit like that, uh, just, you know, in the receiving game as well. But um, my number four, and this is payback for what you did at Christian McCaffrey. This is where I took Jamal Williams. Wow. And that's just because, you know, and, and this is kind of different. I'm completely contradicting something that I just said literally three seconds ago. Pretty much nothing in the receiving game for this guy. But for a guy who played in the two running back system, of course, you can argue that DeAndre Swift got hurt, you know, sometime in there. So he was kind of the only guy there for a little while, but still had over a thousand thousand rushing yards, 4.1 yards per carry. And like you said, 17 rushing touchdowns. That was the most in the league. Me, that 17 rushing touchdowns, I value that high to put him over guys like Saquon, Derrick Henry, and Nick Chubb. I I thought that was absolutely incredible. And Jamal Williams deserves a lot more respect than what he's getting, so he was my number four. I I absolutely love that. I couldn't muster the strength to put Jamal (laughs) Williams higher than eight just because, like, of – I value the yards because just creating – opportunities for your quarterback is the biggest thing for me because I see the running back position more as setting up the passing game more than being the primary source of offense. And Jamal Williams did a fantastic job of that. But I think that with how much he did in the red zone and what, like what they asked of him in the red zone was a lot. He delivered, I just think it was a lot. Yeah. um, I I would like to point out, though, you know, Jerome Bettis, who's a Hall of Famer, pretty much made an entire career out of being a goal line back. Um, And Jamal Williams, you know, he's only in year six. Uh, 
he can definitely be a running uh, an RB one elsewhere because we saw him still be effective without DeAndre Swift, and you know where he kind of had to do more than just be that kind of goal line back. I, I think yeah, Jamal Williams that that was tough to put him at four, but seventeen rushing touchdowns is incredible, and to me that bumped him. All right, so what we're at uh three now? Yes. My number three is Derrick Henry. The okay. King took a, a, a sizable step back, honestly. You know, 500 less yards than he did last year. That, that's a big difference. And I think it's because there wasn't much quarterback play. It's hard to create first downs yourself. But, you know, 13 rushing touchdowns, fantastic. 1,500 yards is fantastic. I think he deserves to be at three here, though. I don't think he was the best. Okay. I like that. You know, he had to do it kind of all on his own this year, and he really showed that he could carry them through the first part of the season and then lose when it really matters. So <laughs> I like Derrick Henry at number three. Um, this is where I put Josh Jacobs. I know he's number one on your damn list, Grayson. I know he is. There's no way he's not. Because he did lead, lead the league in rushing yards. And that was incredible because, honestly, Josh, Josh Jacobs, I, I feel like personally kind of flew under the radar with how good he actually was this season. Um, he was over 15, uh, 1,500 rushing yards. He actually made it to 1,600 rushing yards. Um, 4.9 yards per carry, 12 rushing touchdowns. He also, though, had 53 receptions and 400 receiving yards. So not a bad game, uh, not a bad receiving game at all for him this season. Um, Played every game, only lost one fumble this year. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, the fumble one's a big one. You know, other guys on this list, like Derrick Henry, here I'm reading it now, he's lost three. Um, Saquon was zero. Dalvin Cook was four. So, I mean, you know, having one, uh, just one fumble loss and kind of being, you know, everything in that offense, that that's pretty impressive. So, he made my number three. Dude, I'm, I'm very confused on, like, who I'm missing here ahead of them because it seems like you've now named everybody up top for me <laughs> so i'll just go ahead and get my number two it's nick chubb um i think that nick chubb actually did some fantastic stuff this season um obviously he put up numbers and though he didn't you know do very much in the receiving game he still got 239 yards 27 receptions but obviously Kareem Hunt is a little bit more of their receiving back there. Um, but I still think that Nick Chubb just went out there and did it. His lowest rushing yard total was 34. After that, it's 56 and then 63. And I think it was just the consistency. Though, you know, 302 carries is a lot. But I, I still just think that he showed up a lot this season. Started off the season with a 141 rushing yard game, then 87, 113, 118, 134, drops down for a week, brings it right back up, 91, 101. A tough game versus Buffalo, that one was just a, a ridiculous game right there. Uh, only 19 yards there, bounces back, 116, and then 80, and then rounds it out in the season, 99, 92, 104. And then the Pittsburgh game, which was interesting. He only got 77 yards, though. I think that Nick Chubb still had a absolutely outstanding season. He's continued to show that he is a top three running back in the league. 
and this season was nothing short of that. I like Nick Chubb at number two. He was impressive. But, Grayson, it has dawned on me that this guy didn't make your list. <laughs> He's my number two. Austin Eckler is my number two. Didn't have 1,000 rushing yards on the season. He actually was almost 100 yards less than that. But he became the fifth player in the Super Bowl era to have at least 800 rushing yards, 10 t- rushing touchdowns, 700 receiving yards, and five receiving touchdowns in a single season. He had 107 receptions as a running back and 722 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, 13 rushing touchdowns, which puts him at 18 total for the season, only lost three fumbles, and logged an entire season. Austin Eckler was absolutely amazing this year. I I seriously hold... That that 107 reception stat is up there with like Jamal Williams' 17 rushing touchdown stat. That's insane. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I didn't even realize how good he was because in my mind, I thought that Eckler just like didn't play a lot of the season because of how many games he had where he only got like a couple of carries. I understand. I, it's just like kind of going back to it. I, I think you and I have a difference in what we you know think is a good running back which is it's totally normal i mean you're more ground game i'm more all-purpose you know every kind of like aspect of running back so makes sense but eckler was absolutely unbelievable this year yeah now that i'm looking at his stats i'm remiss that i did not put him in the list but yeah i you're you're right I, i value these just the ground yards very heavily because you know that's what their position is about they're about moving up the field, you know, just helping out the passing game by setting it all up themselves. And it it just seemed like, in general, this Chargers offense wasn't as good as it probably should have been because of the injuries to the receivers. But you're right, Austin Eckler had a fantastic season. Um, I just, I don't know about him at two. Like I said, I, I understand, you know, he, you know, wasn't even really close to a thousand rushing yards, um, but the, the run game or not the run game, the pass game is there and the run game is still not that bad. Um, it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. I've just realized who your number one is now. Yep. I, I'm totally fine with it, but I'll go ahead and say it because you <laughs> spoiled mine. It's Josh Jacobs. Of course. Like, Look, he got a shitload of carries, and his offense was relatively bad outside of him and Devontae Adams, but 1,600 rushing yards is ridiculous. Led the league. Um, And then the 12 touchdowns, great. 400 receiving yards on top of it gives him an over 2,000 all-purpose yard season. And I just think that the way that Josh Jacobs played this season completely turned around what we thought for him coming into this year, first of all, but just his career in general. We haven't seen him do this whatsoever, and now it seems like Josh Jacobs is here to stay. Yeah, and, you know, especially going into the free agency, that's going to be, you know, huge. It, he He's coming off of, uh, let's just say, a lot of damn leverage to get paid. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
All right, Luke, he, go he, ahead. He, go he ahead and say your number one, man. Oh, man. I, I'm sorry that I spoiled your number one. It's fine, because now I know who yours is, and <laughs> I think we both respect each other's decisions here. I No, I respect. Josh Jacobs easily could have been number one on my list, but he wasn't because Christian McCaffrey was. I kind of sucked this guy's dick all year long. Kind of. Kind of is kind of is selling it short. It's an understatement, yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, still over a thousand rushing yards. Not to mention the fact that he got traded. Um, and and I feel like a lot of people don't value that as much as me. Maybe, of course, he obviously went to a team that's leagues better. But you know, he's moving across the country. He's on the West Coast now instead of the East Coast. Completely different system, and he just fit right in. In fact, I think in like one of his first couple of games is when he threw the touchdown pass. Um, my fantasy team really enjoyed that game. But anyway, still over a thousand uh, rushing yards, four point seven yards per carry, eight rushing touchdowns, um, five receiving touchdowns. Also, not that bad in the receiving game as well. He was actually kind of close to Austin Eckler, at least the closest. Um, Eighty-five receptions, which is ridiculously high. Um, 741 receiving yards. He just, he was amazing. He almost had 200 yards by himself. And he also never fumbled this season. That's very good. The fumbles is outstanding. The one thing that held me back here for Chris McCaffrey was just the amount of games where he just couldn't get it going. Um, while he was still with Carolina, he had a, he opened the season with 33. He had a game with 27 and then Goes to the 49ers, and he didn't get the bulk of the carries that first week that he played, but 38 yards. So, yeah, he goes to San Fran, and he has one good game in his first five weeks. Uh, a 94-yard, one touchdown, fifty-four or 55 receiving yards, one touchdown. Follows that up, 38 rushing yards on 14 carries. And then thirty-eight or 39 rushing yards, 32 rushing yards. It, it's just... It's those games that held me back for Christian McCaffrey, and I understand what he did in the air was, I'm not going to say unrivaled because Austin Eckler did it better technically, but I do think that Christian McCaffrey is one of the best running backs in the league when it comes to the all-purpose idea of it. Uh, I just think that what held me back, like I've already said, is the amount of times he couldn't quite get it going. Which is a hundred percent valid. Um, it, it was it was between obviously my top three, CMC, Eckler, and Jacobs. They all honestly could have been. I, I was making cases for them to be all interchangeable. The one thing that set CMC apart for me was he obviously had less stats in the receiving game than Eckler, but like way more rushing yards, and you know, to your like you just said, way more kind of all-purpose, you know, wise effective. Um. I would have loved to have put Austin Eckler at, um, you know, number one, just off of his, you know, 107 receptions alone, which actually I'm reading this now, set a franchise record, single season record for receptions. I, Grayson, I want you to imagine anybody that has ever caught a pass for the Chargers. Eckler has more than them in a single season. Antonio Gates, Keenan Allen. Uh, I mean, shit. Mike Williams was good for a while. They had plenty of dudes and Eckler is... Know, has more than all of them. It's insane. Yeah, that, that is ridiculous. So that rounds out the whole list. Very, very different lists. Uh, not yes. not like the quarterbacks list that we had. Not at all. <laughs> but I liked it. I added some variety. I did good. as well. And next week, 
will hit the wide receivers, and there's not too much to dispute there. It's, did you catch the ball, and did you get a lot of yards and touchdowns? <laughs> so um, I do want to ask you this question real quick before we get into the MLB news. Out of your list, what running back would you want on your team the most, and what would you be willing to give up for them? That's a good question. Wow. Huh. I I guess it would be I guess it would be Christian. Actually, I'm going to go Josh Jacobs. I'm going to go Josh Jacobs. I think the Steelers would be a better team for him to learn how to become more of a receiving back cuz I think he has the talent there. Um what would I be willing to give up for him though? Certainty around Deontay Johnson. Maybe him and a first rounder, but do the Raiders really need another wide receiver? I don't know. That's a that's a good question, Grayson. What about you? Um, see, I don't know. I like Tyler Algier, but I think. You know, so I like Najee. <laughs> yeah, there, there's not much that I want to give up. Um, when it comes to the Falcons, because I think the position we're in, it's hard to give things up right now. But I think. Oh, man, this is tough. I think I'd get, I would take Travis Etienne. He's got a lot of time ahead of him in the league. And I think he is a fantastic running back. I would give up, uh, probably give up like a future first rounder. And, oh, Grady Jarrett. Like that, Brady Jarrett could be a good player to shop off for the Falcons. Yeah, I'm saying because we're not helping him out at all. <laughs> I think we could definitely get him out and get solid value out of him. Yeah, no, I like that. All right, let's talk MLB news. We're gonna kind of run through this one. Shohei Otani, uh, according to his agent, has earned the right to test free agency. <laughs> This one just makes me giggle because what he has been able to do, can you even, could you even fathom a value for this player? No, there's not, there's not a number in the world that could (laughs) pay for a Cy Young level pitcher and an MVP level hitter. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, like, I can't come up with a number because it's never happened like this. (laughs) No. It's like you think about it, you got to pay him like a pitcher, but you also got to pay him like a hitter. And like, oh my God, dude, it's crazy. And what the problem for me is with Shohei Otani, there's bigger injury risk because not only is he playing in the field every day in right field and hitting every day, Every five days, he's going on the mound and throwing 100 pitches. So that is the only kind of reservation I would have with Shohei Otani and like giving him a long term deal. But signing like Shohei Otani to like six years, like a billion dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Like it seems like the right number. But yeah, I agree. I think he does 
have the right to test the free agency market. He has earned that 100% from what he has proven in this league already. And he's just, he's too good for this Angels franchise. Yeah. Um, just like Mike Trout is and always has been. Exactly. Yep. All right. So Max Scherzer is getting the hang of these new rules here with the pitch clock and everything. So, um, fucking try hard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> in some live at bats, uh, he was pitching a Francisco Lindor and he held the ball so late into the pitch clock that Francisco Lindor asked for a timeout. But keep in mind, batters only get one timeout per plate appearance. So if pitchers can, they're, they're essentially learning how to use the pitch clock to still manipulate timing of the game. It is fantastic because once they've burned that timeout, if you just keep making them wait deep into the pitch clock, it almost like it shifts their focus. And it is a crazy thing to do. But um, apparently this was already happening in the testing of the pitch clock in the minor league. So it seems like the MLB is fine with it. But... It is just more proof that Max Scherzer is an absolute madman. Yeah, Mad Max. All right. I have a little fun fact here. I, I love when we talk about this kind of stuff. Deion Sanders in 1992 oh. MLB season was on pace for a 5.3 war in a full season. He only played 97 games. Still absolutely fantastic. That's good for 24th in the MLB that year. The same year, he was an all-pro cornerback for the Falcons. That, yeah, that's unbelievable. Like, it's insane. The the two sport athletes of, like, the the 90, like the 80s and 90s, it's ridiculous. With Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, like, those guys were really killing it. See, I, I think, though, the the obsession around Bo, Bo Jackson, I almost said Bo Sanders, wouldn't that have been an insane player? Yeah. Um, I think the obsession with Bo Jackson, it takes a lot of, away from Deion Sanders. Cause I would argue that Deion Sanders is a better two sport athlete than Joe, uh, than, um, my God, Jackson, sorry. And that's just kind of because, you know, Bo Jackson was talented, but he never, he didn't really have a lot of success to show for it. In my opinion, Deion Sanders does though, in both sports, which is incredible. Yeah. And Deion could have done more in the MLB, but at a certain point he just had to commit to the NFL. And, I think that, you know, across both teams, though, he was fantastic. So, yeah, I do kind of agree that Dion was probably a better two-sport athlete. Uh, but let's move into this because I just seeing this guy's face on my computer pisses me off. Rob Manfred uh, made a statement about MLB blackouts. So, um, you know, not being able to watch your team in your region through MLB and things like that. He said that blackouts are the are the kind of opposite side of the coin of reach. We need to deliver a product to fans who want to watch on platforms that they customarily use at a realistic price. That is our number one priority. Shut the fuck up. Okay? <laughs> Look, I am a fan who wants to watch baseball on platforms that I customarily use, which is MLB TV. And it's a realistic price. So why the fuck can I not watch the Braves on MLB TV? Why do I have to pay for a cable subscription and get the sports package so that I can watch Bally Sports just so I can watch Braves games? And that's it. I can't watch a Marlins game. I can't watch a Rays game. I can't watch any other team 
except the Braves. And then if I want to watch it on MLB TV where I can watch everybody except the Braves, I, I just, I'm just fucked. <laughs> so we, we kind of touched on blackouts in a, in a previous podcast, right? Like if we liked watching, cause like, I know <laughs> you brought up, you know, liking yes ne- network for the Yankees. You brought up Valley sports for the Braves. It, isn't that kind of like what he's talking about here? Yeah. So essentially if you're, um, if you're a Braves fan or sorry, if you're, let's say an Astros fan and you live in the state of Mississippi, you can only watch Braves games on your local broadcasting. So then you have to pay for MLB TV to watch an Astros game. In the same way for, you know, if you're a Braves fan in a different place, you know, it's the same way. It is the biggest bullshit ever. The NBA does it too, but... Still, I think the MLB is the worst about it. Their zones are very bad when it comes down to it. Interesting. It it pretty much makes it impossible for somebody who isn't willing to pay a shitload of money to be a fan of their team outside of a small region. So, in, in other words, you're kind of like, he's making it seem like you have choices when in reality, it's kind of like pick your poison. Yeah. Gotcha. Look, I'm a I'm a, a a baseball fan. Of course, I'm a Braves fan before I'm an MLB fan, but I like to watch everybody's games. So why do I need to have the cable package and MLB TV to watch everybody play? It should be in one place. You have the ability to. You are the decision makers. That's fuck Rob Manfred. Yeah, fuck him. I've said some heinous things in the past about Rob Manfred. <laughs> so anytime that I can get somebody riding on that boat, I'm down. All right, Honestly. let's move on to something else that Rob Manfred could do for us. Not really, though. It's it's really a baseball writer's thing. But the DH is universal. Of course, that happened last season. It's official, not changing. We got to unify the awards now because the NL and AL are no different. There should be one MVP, one Cy Young, and one Rookie of the Year, you know, et cetera, down the line. It shouldn't be split up between the or the uh, leagues. I've always thought that it was strange that the MLB did that. It, it would actually, you know what? It'd be kind of interesting to go back and look at um, NL and AL winners from the past and like do a segment where we actually see who would win if it was like a unified award. Yeah, because there's always one that's better than the other. Yeah, for the most part, I would agree. But, yeah, I I think it's kind of ridiculous now that we're splitting it up. And I get it because, like, there's, uh, I believe in an MLB season, out of the 162 games, only you kind of have, like, I, I believe it's two divisions in the other league that you play one series against each team. Otherwise, you play multiple series against uh, the NL teams. So you only miss out on playing five teams throughout your season. It's it's just ridiculous. In the NFL, there's only one award, and you only play 17 games. You play three other teams two times. There's only 11 teams outside of your conference that you actually play in a season. 
That is true. So I, I just I think it's ridiculous, but you know, there's not much else to say about it. Let's talk about Manny Machado real quick because the Padres and Manny Machado are in an interesting spot right now. So the rumor is that Machado was offered five years, $105 million extension on top of his already giant contract. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Padres and Machado, even worse than Lamar and the Ravens, are $145 million apart <laughs> in their contract extension talks. And Machado has made it clear that he will be opting out of contract and testing free agency after this coming season. Machado said the markets change from when I signed five years ago. It's changed tremendously. Things change and evolve as a player who's about to opt out. It's pretty good to see. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I, I a hundred percent agree with what he just said. <laughs> yeah. Look, the, the Padres keep on bringing in players, but they don't want to pay arguably their best player. Uh, and obviously he's getting paid plenty of money. Extend him. Give show him that you're actually you actually care to keep him on this team. Yeah, and I'm sure you know signings like, uh, for example, Aaron Judge is uh, you know his extension. You know, kind of is might be he's sort of talking about here. Um, dang, five hundred forty-five million dollars apart. Sorry, uh, it was a hundred forty-five million dollars apart, not five. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, one hundred forty-five. <laughs> yeah, that's about how much his contract is right now uh, in total. Lot. So he wants more than double. Then, um, because if there, if he was offered that much, and he there are there's no, so so his contract off. is near like I, I want to say it's around five hundred million dollars right now. Okay, um, he's just getting a, he wants a little more, which I understand. Let's talk about Clayton Kershaw real quick. He was taken out of the World Baseball Classic roster effective immediately. He said that he's a hundred percent healthy and was disappointed and surprised when he wasn't able to play. Um, the likely situation here is that the Dodgers aren't letting him play because, you know, they don't want him to get hurt. He's been injury-ridden for the past couple of years. Get over it. Like, let him play. He's his own person. Yeah, um... I guess, like, you know, legally the Dodgers can do shit like that. Maybe it's something in their contract where they can kind of decide that instead of it being his decision. I don't know. Yeah, well, and, like, the way that I think every sports league essentially works this way is that there's, like, these players are insured. And they saw it as a bad thing if Kershaw goes and plays in the World Baseball Classic. I get it. Clayton Kershaw, nearing the end of his career, this is most likely his last opportunity to play in the World Baseball Classic. Why are you taking that away from him? Yeah, it, it, it's pretty shitty, I think. All right, well, let's keep going just to kind of get through the last bit of this. So, uh, Ronald Acuna hit a fucking dick shot off of Max Fried in spring training. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Looked awesome. I'm so happy for what a Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to do this season. But another player that did some interesting stuff here coming into spring training is Ian Anderson. He's fighting for that five spot, and he added a slider to his repertoire, which was much needed to go with the fastball, changeup, sinker, uh, curveball. So now he adds the slider. He's got the horizontal movement now, and that's kind of what was missing from his game. You know, the changeup was his swing and miss 
kind of pitch. But when people started to figure it out, he was useless. And adding a slider just, you know, gives more for the, the batter to look for. Can catch them, you know, with their knees buckled. Like, if if that slider is pretty solid, I think Ian Anderson will cement himself back into this Braves rotation. Dude, imagine if he goes out there fucking looking like Adam Adovino day one. <laughs> if he's got a slider like Adam Adovino, I'm going to be concerned. <laughs> All right, well then, fan graphs, um, according to their uh, predictions, the Braves have the highest playoff percentage and percentage to win the World Series. I couldn't be more excited. Um, with, you know, Dansby leaving... And, you know, all the other factors uh, with this Braves team, I was kind of surprised to see this and I couldn't be more happy. We're the only team with over a 90% chance to make the playoffs, according to Fangraphs. We've got, I want to say it was like a 14 or 15% chance to win the World Series. This is exactly where I want us to be right now. You know, for the future, all these guys that are going to play a part in, you know, the Braves for the next couple of years, you know, and making it to this uh, into the postseason and winning World Series championships, they're all locked up for multiple years, which I know we've talked about it before. But to me, that's the most impressive thing. Yeah, you got to commend Alex Anthopoulos and the whole ownership group at Liberty Media. Um, Talk a little bit more about contracts. Max Freed said that he's not angry over the result of his arbitration and is 100% open to an extension if the Braves approach, which I is such a good sign because as soon as he didn't win arbitration, the Braves community was in a frenzy. They were like, oh my God, we're going to lose Max Freed. He's going to be pissed. He's not going to want to play, like whatever. This is very reassuring to Braves fans and just to the Braves in general that Max Freed was not you know, all that mad over a one and a half million dollars. It opens the door for Mike Soroka, who hasn't pitched since like 2004. <laughs> and he still isn't pitching because he's dealing with hamstring tightness. Uh, he, he reported it when it came, uh, when he arrived at camp and now the Braves are holding him out as a precaution. So once again, we'll just keep waiting on Mike Soroka and just keep wasting money on him. I'm so done. So done with Mike Soroka. <laughs> He is such a good player, but he's made out of glass. Um, he sucks for him. Feel bad. It does. All right. Last piece of MLB news. Ex-New York Mets pitching coach Phil Reagan has filed a lawsuit against the New York Mets, claiming the only reason he was fired from his job in, in New York nearly four years ago was because he's old. Interesting. And, and I've, I, I know a little bit about sports law. That's discrimination in the workplace. That not... Not allowed. That is true. It is. Uh, you you are technically being. Uh, is there, what's the word for it? It's not ageist. It, it it kind of is. It's discriminatory against his age, but um, you're making decisions on a factor that one hundred percent uncontrollable. Yeah. yeah, it's an incontrollable factor in his employment, uh, which is totally against the law. So maybe the Mets are going to lose some money. It'd be nice to see. The other team in New York. All right. We've made it to soccer. It's Champions League time. Let's talk about it. It's the second week of the round of 16, first leg. Um, some fantastic games uh throughout these uh these last two days. So Real Madrid absolutely thrashed Liverpool on uh on uh Tuesday. 
5-2, uh, a brace from Vinicius Jr., a brace from Benzema, and a goal for Eder Militao uh, for Liverpool, a goal for Darwin Nunes in the fourth minute, and Salah in the 14th. That's five unanswered goals by Madrid after the 14th minute. That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, first of all, as a Chelsea fan, <laughs> you motherfuckers blew it at your beloved Anfield, and I couldn't. This game, it almost brings a tear to my eye how happy it makes me because they got absolutely battered at home, which never happens to Liverpool. This is the first leg, and Grayson, we all know that the Bernabeu is not very easy to win in either, and they're going to have to go there in the second leg eventually and try to come back from a 5-2 aggregate. It's going to be pretty fucking hard, and I am so happy that this happened to Liverpool. Well, and the real problem that Liverpool faces on top of it is that they've got to score more than three goals because Real Madrid has the advantage on away goals now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, they took away the away uh, goal rule in the oh, Champions League. Oh, wait, when, when the fuck did that happen? I think it was last season. Really? Or maybe this season, yeah. Dude, I thought that was goals. like the best thing ever. Dude, you know, sports is all about, you know, fucking offense now. They just want more overtime, so... That's lame. That's kind of what I think it is. Yeah, Ooh. I think so too. Um, <laughs> one thing that I wanted to uh, highlight was woeful mistakes from both goalies. I don't know if you've seen it, Grayson, but uh, the first one came from Courtois. It's kind of like an awkward pass back from Carvajal, but, you know, nothing that Courtois shouldn't be able to, you know, he should be able to handle this. Horrible touch right in front of Salah, who just taps it in. I mean, bizarre goal. Uh, that actually was the one that made it 2-0. And then on the other end, Allison, it's 2-1, pass, and plays it straight into Vinny's feet. And Vin Vinicius Jr. doesn't even do anything. It just, like, kind of bounces off of his shin guards and for a goal, and it makes it 2-2. And ever since then, you know, Liverpool were just, you know, completely fucked. Um, yeah, they, they got absolutely thrashed in this one. Yeah, and also another thing I wanted to highlight is surprisingly Gakpo did not score. Had a good game, but did not score. Hey, as long as he plays well, that's all that matters for me. Exactly. All right, well, let's talk about Napoli. They took a 2-0 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. I, I kind of saw this coming. I, I thought Frankfurt was a very good team, but it just seems like Napoli's really on top of their shit right now. Exactly, and in the first 10 minutes, it was all Frankfurt. I mean, the, the chances were there. Of course, they ended up not scoring, but um, Frankfurt was there in the first 10 minutes, man, and their crowd was rocking. The Frankfurt Ultras and really all the Bundesliga Ultras are just ridiculous. Um, wanted to highlight that Trap actually saved a penalty in the 35th minute. Um, kind of came off of uh, uh, a Frankfurt defender. He was trying to clear the ball and just – Basically, Osman ran in between the ball and the swinging leg and just took it right into the sh uh, freaking shins. Trap obviously saved it, and then Napoli kind of just went on to dominate the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, a solid game out of Napoli. Um, something to look forward to here with Napoli because if they stay on this good form, they might make a, a solid run in the Champions League. I think so. Um, maybe maybe a future stake your claim. Who we'll knows? see. But, I don't know. Napoli are always dangerous whenever it comes to the Champions League. But um, yeah, and the Di Lorenzo goal was amazing. Uh, I'm, I learned how to say his name hours before whenever I was taking these notes. Totally forgot. But the Napoli player whose name starts with a K, it's really long. He's this young player. He's awesome. 
had a crazy sick back heel that fell right to the left back in DiLorenzo, and he just placed it in the bottom left corner of the goal. It was a wonderful goal to watch. But now I want to try and pronounce this name. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Hey. I'm, I'm going to try it. Kvratskela. I mean, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah, we're going with it. That's good. Uh, also wanted to highlight from this game that um, Lozano looked absolutely unplayable out there. He's, you know, in my opinion, probably one of, if not the best Mexican player in the entire world, um, which that uh, he actually had an assist today. 39th minute, beautiful cross right into Osman, who's been linked with like some of the best clubs in the world. He's like a 21-year-old Nigerian striker who's amazing. Can't wait to see where he goes because um, I don't think he'll stay at Napoli, but scored a goal that was a beautiful cross from Lozano and Napoli took it 2-0. Yeah, I've been kind of surprised over the last couple of years that Chucky Lozano cannot find a home. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Yeah, he's been so skilled. Like you said, he's probably the best Mexican player in the world right now. And it just appears like he can't stick around anywhere, but he has undoubted talent. Yeah, and Napoli is a club where I think he fits well with their, you know, very fun-to-watch offensive style that they've had for what feels like years now. But Lozano can definitely, and no disrespect to Napoli at all, of course, they're like 15 points ahead in Serie A right now. But I feel like Lozano could go to a bigger team and a bigger league and still play well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Let's talk about Leipzig. They drew Man City. Uh, a, a late goal from Givardio, uh in the 70th minute ties it up. They hold it there. This is a, a pretty good showing for Leipzig to only give up one goal to Man City. And, and it was. And the first half, it looked like there was only one team on the field, and that was Manchester City. But Leipzig in the second half were no joke. In fact, it actually was, I would say, a, a 50-50 game in the second half. It wasn't like Leipzig kind of, you know, started getting their offense through counterattacks. No, you were starting to see Leipzig possess and kind of have that anaconda effect where it's just possess and pass the ball, pass the ball, and just it felt like Leipzig was having the ball forever like Manchester City was in the first half. Um, but in Leipzig, it was frustrating because they're in the 26th minute when Mares scored, it was a stupid, stupid mistake. Schlager completely missed Lamier on a pass. And, I mean, Manchester City, you know, we both know, Grace, and a team like that, you know, they're going to jump on midfield mistakes and score immediately, and that's exactly what they did to get their goal. Yeah, I, I think that the best thing that Leipzig did throughout this game was just have a pretty aggressive approach at Man City's offense, um, and especially the midfield. They really got them to kind of lose shape, and it, it kind of lost all of their control that they had every single time. Exactly. Um, and, and another thing I feel like is they, they did a better job of locking down Bernardo Silva, who in the first half, Grayson, was completely unplayable. I mean, no one could even touch him. He completed 69 of 73 passes. That's 95% from a midfielder. Ridiculous. Five out of five of his long balls were completed, and he completed five out of six of his dribbles. He was absolutely insane. Yeah, and shutting down Erling Holland, which you know has been a task, they they did a pretty good job. Exactly. Um, and Holland, though he had his touches, he had his moments, but for the most part, not a not ever really a real chance to score for him, which is, you know, seems like how you beat Manchester City these days. Definitely. Well, let's talk about the last match from this week. Uh Inter 
beats Porto 1-0, uh, a late goal in the 86th minute by Lukaku. But the, the game-changing one here um, is just how Inter spread the field. Yeah, um, I like that a lot because it, it was a super quiet game uh, almost throughout the entire thing. And Porto, the nil, them not scoring in this game is really, really a disservice. Kind of feels like my team, Chelsea. Porto, the chances were there. Um, and the 56-minute Ohana made a ridiculous double save. It actually, I mean, technically was a triple save, but the first shot was blocked by Milan Skriniar. And Onana just looked absolutely insane. And like I said, Porto had plenty of opportunities to score. They just didn't. Um, another thing I wanted to highlight, in the 77th minute, Octavio was sent off for a really, really soft foul. Can't remember who he fouled, but it was one of those where it was a, it was a foul, but the player definitely fell on purpose. It, it wasn't a dive, but it was just a really, really soft foul. And, you know, that was enough to get him his second yellow and sent off. And Lukaku coming on and scoring, look, Inter fans have been kind of wanting him. You know, Edin Dzeko kind of been falling out of form recently. Lukaku, who I have feelings about him, uh, you know, I can't really fucking stand him <laughs> at all, to be honest with you. But – he scores uh, his own rebound. It was a header hit off the post, uh, came right back to him, and he scores. And, yeah, Lukaku was way better than Dzeko whenever he came on the pitch, and that's, you know, ultimately ultimately what led to Inter winning this game. Yeah, and, you know, Inter, I really liked how they set up uh, formation-wise for this game. The midfield looked fantastic. That set up with Darmian, uh, Barella, Chalanlu, and, um, and Mkhitaryan with DeMarco on the left seemed to work very well for them and like you said Lukaku really bolstered the attack when he came in for Dzeko but I do really like this Inter lineup I just have questions here with how they'll play against the top teams yeah and and those are very valid questions but you know one thing I wanted to point out is I I completely agree with you the I love a three-back formation as a soccer player myself I always thought that it was important to add an extra midfielder even if that extra midfielder, you know, and the likes of Darmian, who is, you know, he's he's a right back, basically, just lined up his right mid. He can play that. And so can, like, Teo Hernandez for AC Milan. AC Milan run a three-back formation, but it's also kind of one of those where it becomes a four-back because he can play left-back, he can play left-mid, and I think if you have a player that can do that, always run a three-back. Yeah. All right. Anything else you got to talk about with the Champions League? No, I, I think we're good here. All right. Well, we're set up for a pretty good uh, next two weeks for this round of 16 leg twos. We'll just have to see how it goes, and then we'll obviously get back with the next stage. Before we talk anything else, I do want to talk about something that happened in their Europa League, though. Manchester United eliminate Barcelona. And yes. it <laughs> it's not looking good for Barca. Not at all. Um, Manchester United... You know, it, it, they looked good in the first leg as well. You know, getting a 2-0 or a 2-2 draw at the Camp Nou is always something to be proud of. You know, the Barca fans are a tough crowd to play in front of. But Old Trafford, Manchester United showed up and even got a goal from Anthony, who's been, I mean, shit <laughs> recently. And he scores in a massive game for Manchester United. And it was a good game all around. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, Barcelona, their only goal coming off of a Robert Lewandowski penalty in the 18th minute, it just seemed like they couldn't create chances. Yeah, um, and Manchester United, you know, we've seen it from them 
really all since the World Cup is that's that's a team that can't stop making chances. They attack just looks so good with Rashford, you know, in form finally. We've been waiting for him to, you know, have his blossom season, and now it's it's coming to fruition, and they look awesome. All right. Well, I do have a question for you here regarding, you know, kind of what's going on in Barcelona. What do you think it's going to take for Barcelona to get back to the club that we've known for the last, you know, 40 plus years? Because they're really flopping this season with still a solid team. That's it's a good question, Grayson. And I think for Barcelona, um, they're not like Real Madrid where, like for example, in, you know, the late 90s to early 2000s, Real Madrid had the Galacticos era where they had players uh, like David Beckham, uh, Brazilian Ronaldo, uh, Figo, uh, I mean, the, the list goes on, Zidane, right, Roberto Carlos, and they just brought in and bought all of this insane talent. Barca's never been like that. They're strictly and truly have been a farm team, no matter how much money they've had, um, which is, you know, respectable. And I, I think, you know, for this Barca team is they have guys like Pedri and they have you know, old veterans like Lewandowski, I think what Barca need is they just need time. I, I think it's really that simple for Barcelona is they, they just need time for their players to develop. Yeah, because like just, you know, throughout the years that Barcelona's really, you know, they've kind of been around forever. Um, we kind of seen them bounce back very well. They had the dream team era in the late 80s. Uh, Johan Cruyff uh, was the manager and put together quite a squad um, with Eusebio and Pep Guardiola, Michael Laudrup, Stoikov, uh, Ronald Koeman, like multiple very solid, like successful players. That's how they bounce back is they bring in the biggest guys they can. Same thing happened when they brought in Frank Reichard as manager back in uh, like the early 2000s when they had Ronaldinho and Eto, Deco. Uh, Puyol was young, but playing extremely well then. Iniesta was coming in, Xavi, uh, guys like that, uh, like the homegrown talent as well, was fantastic. And then we kind of continue to see them bring it back again. And, and like, you know, Messi joins the team, obviously becomes, you know, over those years, one of the best of all time. And then we get to their Pep Guardiola era where, the youth was just fantastic, but the veterans and the guys that were, you know, establishing themselves complete, like they were the best team in the world, undoubtedly for that stretch. And then, you know, we see another era when, um, with like Tata Martino and, and things like that, where like Suarez came in and Neymar was like on top of the world. But now it seems like, it's all fallen off a cliff since Messi and Neymar and Suarez are gone. Yeah. And I, I think at the European level um, for sure, but in La Liga, they're actually ahead of Real Madrid by eight points. They're in first place. Uh, they've won their last five games. Um, and, and it's, it's a different team though. It's nobody, it's nobody that's kind of like a big name player. I would even argue that Pedri is not even really that big of a name player yet. And I think Barcelona are fine. It's just, like I said earlier, I think it's just time of letting your guys like Pedri and other players like that that are going to, you know, only get better from where they're at now because they're so young. But, um, I, I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Barcelona fan, although it does suck to play in the Europa League. Yeah, and I just think that what they're missing right now to me is a young and up-and-coming striker. 
I think Robert Lewandowski, he's old, he's slow. I, I just, I don't fully believe in his ability as much as I once did. And I, I think that bringing in like a young striker that's, you know, like really, really like on top of it would totally change this team. Which I, actually, to your point, I think Barcelona are the front runners for signing Victor Osman from Napoli, the Nigerian guy that we were talking about earlier, who's been yeah. fantastic. And he's like 20 or 21 years old. So that may be, you know, the bump that Barca need. Maybe. But, you know, it has been a theme where the homegrown talent of Barcelona is what sticks around. And, you know, the guys that are coming up right now with Pedri and Ansu Fati, uh, Gavi, guys like that, like, they are changing this team 100%. They just need to get over the hump. Yeah. Like that. Sorry. All right. Anything else you've got to talk about before we get into the Premier League? Yeah, I, I'm ready to preview these games, man. Let's All right. Well, there's not very many good games this weekend. Um, I'll just go ahead and put that out there. Like Friday's game is Fulham versus Wolves. Not very interested. Um, so main ones I want to talk about. Leicester versus Arsenal. Uh, both of these teams in interesting positions. Arsenal took back the lead in the um, sorry in the Prem with a 4-2 win over Aston Villa, and uh, while Man City drew Bournemouth, or sorry, uh, drew Nottingham Forest. So things are shaking up once again at the top of the table, and we see a Leicester City team coming off of a loss, a bad loss against Man U this past weekend, but they were on solid form before. Um, you know, will Arsenal ride the high of getting back into first place or will they get, you know, a little bit complacent being there? I think Arsenal are going to ride the high um, in this one against Leicester because uh, I, I remember demanding, Grayson, that Leicester City drop Vardy and play Iheanacho, which is exactly what they did in the 3 nothing loss to Manchester United. Vardy did not start this game. They didn't score. Uh, Iheanacho still had a decent game, but the goals aren't there then you know it's kind of that same problem whenever Barty was starting and I think that Arsenal you know kind of bouncing back uh with that 4-2 win over Villa I feel like they're riding a higher high and Leicester's low is super low because they made that drastic change against a Manchester United team that you know you could argue had been kind of maybe slipping a little bit I would say and they, you know, couldn't even score, couldn't even grab a result against United. So I think Arsenal are going to take this one pretty easily. All right. So what's what's that score prediction? I don't, I don't know if you said it. I might have missed it. Uh, no, I did not say it. Um, I'm going to go two one Arsenal. Two one Arsenal. I like that. I'm going to go. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I just, I still don't know how I feel about Arsenal because I don't know if they're going to win the league. And now we're kind yeah. of getting we're we're getting towards the the home stretch. <laughs> Whether anybody likes it or not, there's not all that many games to play. I I'm gonna go one one draw. Uh, I think okay. that uh, Hinacho is gonna score. I think maybe uh, hmm, what's it? What's an interesting goal scorer for Arsenal? I can just pull out of my ass real quick. Let's go. Martin Odegaard's <laughs> gonna score a goal. I like it. All right. I like it. Let's talk Bournemouth versus Man City because, look, Bournemouth is in a tough spot. I was just talking about how we're kind of winding down here. They're only a point out of relegation right now, but they're coming off of a win over Wolves and a draw versus top five team Newcastle. I think that Bournemouth looks good. Man United, on the other hand, yes, that you know they they have they're they're in a fantastic team. They beat Arsenal just two weeks ago, 
Um, but the draw against Nottingham Forest, uh, a, a draw in the Champions League now, what's going on with Manchester City, and is it a problem going forward in the Prem? Personally, I don't think so. And I think um, I think what Manchester City are going to probably do against Leipzig is we're going to see a lot of players get dropped for, you know, rotation and, you know, health and fitness purposes. And I think Manchester City are going to be able to rotate their starting 11 around and still get a win against Bournemouth. Because, look, Newcastle draw is impressive. But the win against Wolves was kind of a smash and grab. Wolves, I don't have the exact stats, but Wolves pretty much dominated the game. And Bournemouth was just able to win a game off of a low possession and not many shots, you know, type of game. But, you know, they got the dub. Um, And I think Manchester City, they're going to rotate the team around, like I said earlier. Um, And I think Manchester City will still get the win against Bournemouth, though. Yeah, I'm going to take Man City 2-0. I I like that. 2-0, Man City. I'll copy you. All right. Let's talk Spurs-Chelsea. Definitely the best match of the weekend they play it on sunday the sole game on sunday and i i really do think chelsea has a shot <laughs> we we've been saying that a lot for a lot of weeks in a row i know um, <laughs> yeah trust me i'm 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 the fan here i i understand um Spurs are coming off of a 2-0 win against west ham which is always good of course west ham are low but West Ham is a London a London team. Spurs are a London team. It's a rivalry game. And Spurs, you know, they showed out. Another thing that I wanted to point out is Youngman's son and Harry Kane finally linked up. Uh, I don't know the minute or how it happened, really, but son got a goal and Kane assisted it, which is, I think, a really good kind of small moment for Spurs fans to pick out. Um, but like you said earlier, I, I still think that Chelsea has a chance. Um, and, and it's another game where... Chelsea are playing it's a London rivalry and Chelsea can build off of something here of course Spurs are in fourth Chelsea's in 10th but beating a rival is always going to create some momentum yeah I I think that Spurs are in a good spot right now Uh, right now they're in fourth they they've got a plus nine goal differential but they they simply give up too many goals uh, in my mind yeah and I no you're good I, I think this is the opportunity for Chelsea to get some goals. Their offense, it's honestly, it's been good. They just can't finish. And I I just, I got to see more chances created by this midfield of Chelsea because they have an outstanding midfield. It's just not working. Exactly. And, you know, Chelsea are coming off of a brutal 1-0 loss to Southampton who were bottom of the table. I'm not too sure if they still are, um, but they were at the time. Um, just to make Chelsea even look worse, the game was at Stamford Bridge, which is the you know home of Chelsea Soccer Club, football club, if you want to be technical, but soccer club if you don't want to be a European bitch. <laughs> so Enzo is still good. He, I would say, has honestly taken over Thiago Silva as the most consistent player for Chelsea recently. Enzo almost is every single game a 7.1 match rating, which is completely solid. And to Chelsea's point, you know, against Southampton, we did have to rotate the team around. I want to say there were like four or five players that got dropped from the um, the lineup that we used against Dortmund, which is like kind of the main Chelsea lineup. But it, it brings up a big question that I want to ask you, Grayson. And it, it, this is kind of some, some Chelsea history, you know, recent history, but I, I, I'm interested to hear your response. So 
Tuchel was fired in early September. Okay. Potter, Graham Potter, has only been the manager for four months, and he's coming off of a loss to Southampton. We haven't won after all of these transfers that we brought in in January and the beginning of the season. Should Graham Potter already be fired? Oh, man. I I, want to let him finish the season. Okay. Because I think that, you know, with the amount of stuff that's already going wrong with Chelsea right now, the last thing you need to add on top of it is a managerial change at this point in the season. I think you ride it out and maybe right at the end of the season, he gets sacked, but I, I don't know. I don't think it's a great move right now to, to make a big change. I don't think so either, but it's, you know, definitely, you know, headlining. And there, there's some arguments for it, for sure, but I, I completely agree with you. I think one of the worst things you could do right now would be firing the manager. Um, who knows? Maybe he still just needs more time to get settled in. He had success with Brighton. He's even brought some Brighton players like Kirkorea over from, you know, his old team. Um, anyway, back to Chelsea Tottenham. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you that question. You're right. Chelsea are in a good position to build some momentum here against Tottenham. And I, I will always say with how good Chelsea's been that we still have a chance to win against anybody on any given day. I just don't know if it'll happen. I think this time I'm going to go with the norm. I think it'll be another 1-1 draw. Okay. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I need to see more Mikhailo Mudrik. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm just like saying that because I want him to be good like immediately, but bringing him on in the 64th minute, like it's not enough time for his impact. He's a guy that needs to play 90 minutes because he can create chances. You just, you got to give him time to do it And, and subbing him out at the half and bringing him in late. Like it's just, the decision-making there with Mikhail Mudrik, and I know he's young and he's new, and, and they have concerns about just his fitness in general. Let him play a full game. I love that take because, honestly, his match ratings would not suggest to play him in a full game. He really has not been able to amount to the same level of effectiveness as he did when he got subbed in um, against Liverpool. But... I think, honestly, sometimes instead of just subbing players out, I think you kind of should let them suffer late in the game, honestly, to try to get the best out of them. And he's got blistering pace. So I I understand the idea of, you know, maybe subbing him in late because the defense is already tired. But personally, I would like to see him log a full game without getting subbed off. And Chelsea just haven't done that with him yet. So not too sure what's going on there. But, yeah, I think it'll be a 1-1 draw. All right, I, I think it's going to be 1-0 Tottenham. I like it. I, I like just, it. Um, I, I can't, okay. I can't bet that Chelsea's going to score a goal. I, no, no one can. <laughs> I can't. All right. What else you got for soccer for you. before we move on? news for you. Okay. So, I sent it to you earlier, but obviously I, I never really told you why. Um, Sergio Ramos today suddenly retired from the Spanish national team. Very, very bizarre. Of course, he's old, but at the same time, it was it was still a shock for me to see. And um, on his Instagram, he posted at pretty much uh, Coach Luis de la Fuente 
told him that no matter what condition Ramos was in or what kind of form he was in, he wasn't going to be selected to even travel with the Spanish national team anymore. And Sergio Ramos retired. So I don't really blame him. I, I think that, you know, De La Fuente is kind of selling Ramos short. He's still been amazing at his age for PSG. And his, you know, retirement from Spain is just, it was forced and it's shocking. And I don't like it. Yeah, I, I think that's ridiculous. Sergio Ramos has been probably one of, if not the best Spanish center back in in soccer for years. Yes. I, I think he deserves more respect. Well, Whether you think he's playing well or not. Um, completely agree with you there. Um, so there was something else I was going to, oh yeah. Wanted to, you know, not to mention that Ramos was a part of the best Spanish team that there's ever been, um, won the world cup in 2010. And then two years later in the Euro won the Euro. And I want to say that was Spain's first world cup win of all time. Don't know if it was their first Euro win of all time, but you know, Spain was kind of put on the map by the team that Sergio Ramos was the head of. Um, and it's just a shame to see him go in, you know, such a way. Yeah, I think that's absolute bullshit. Yeah, no, I, I like it. But yeah, that's that was what I wanted to bring up. <laughs> All right, let's get into something that, you know, outside of just me and Luke, it, nobody really cared about before this, but a, a highly anticipated topic here. Oh, here we go. This was one of the first things when I asked Luke to be on this podcast with me that I told him we could do at some point, and we're finally doing it. It's the athlete nicknames draft. Oh, yes. Five rounds. Given Luke the first pick. Only stipulation here is that if somebody takes somebody or uh, if somebody takes a nickname, the other person cannot use another nickname of the same athlete. Example that I used to Luke was Charles Barkley, because if you go to his basketball reference page, there's like a paragraph of nicknames. So let's go ahead and get it started. Luke, you've got one, one, you are the Chicago bears. (laughs) Give me that nickname. So this one's pretty, it's simple, but it's just so nice. And this one might be a surprise to you, but for my first one, I'm going to take sweetness and that's Walter Payton's nickname. Love it. I love that pick right there. It's simple, but that is just such a badass nickname, in my opinion. Very underrated, but that's what I'm going to take number one. All right. I'm going to take one of my favorites of all time when it comes to just the nicknames and like those NBA nicknames from a, a good, like the 80s. The Hick from French Lick, Larry Bird. Oh. Absolutely fantastic nickname. Like that one. Like that one a lot. Yeah, dude. Like when I first heard that nickname, I was like, it it, it can't be topped. It, it is yeah. so perfect. Like he, he's the white guy, like the country boy, farm boy, whatever. That nickname is so perfect for Larry Bird. I like it. Um my oh man i just kind of made like a list here so i don't really have like ones that i like over the other ones which is hard okay i'll go nba with you i'm gonna go with pistol pete maravich 
Solid. Love that nickname. Love me some Pistol Pete. Um, and I, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's one of those where it was just synonymous with the way he played. He, he seriously is one of the best ball, like just, you know, hand control passers of the entire NBA uh, game. He's one of the most insane players of all time. Just very crafty. All right. I'm going to go to NASCAR. Oh. The Intimidator. Yeah. Dale Earnhardt Sr. I one of love that one. it's so fucking good when me and Brock were talking about Dale Earnhardt uh, on last Wednesday's episode and I heard this name or this nickname and I was I just like sparked this memory in my head of like oh yeah that is one of the best nicknames ever I mean he drove the black car he wore the black sunglasses he had the cowboy hat he would fucking wreck people bump people out of his way uh, yeah, that one fits big time. R.I.P. Dale Earnhardt Sr. Yes. R.I.P. Um, All right. Let's hear it. Third round. All right. I'm going to go with Steelers one here. I'm going to go with Mean Joe Green. Great pick. Love me some Mean Joe. And he really was mean. Uh, nice guy in real life. But, I mean, in the 70s, if you watch highlights of Joe Green, of course, um, you know, back in the day, there were less rules, but Joe Green would just straight up, like, trip people. I mean, that entire 70s Steelers defense was, you know, mean as hell, but Joe Green was really the front runner of that, and he definitely deserves that nickname, Mean Joe. All right, my third-round pick, and I told you I had one that was just ridiculously funny. Don't know where it comes from, but it's so funny. Muscle Hamster, Doug Martin. Oh, yeah. That nickname is just so funny. Yeah. Martin, highly underrated player from my childhood. I loved watching him play. Yeah, man. He was so fucking good. And, but his nickname's better than he was. Oh, for sure. He was with the, um, the Buccaneers, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Muscle hamster. So good. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with another funny one. Uh, this guy's nickname is Dave. And this is Caesar Aspilicueta from Chelsea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a real life nickname, and Chelsea fans have the inside joke where it's just we'll just call you Dave because his name is his last name is Aspilicueta. It's not the easiest thing to pronounce, but yeah, they that is literally his nickname is Dave. I think this is the fifth round, but I kind of want to go longer. I mean, we have honorable mentions, too. Oh, that's yeah, true. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's so many to choose from here. I, I got to do it. It's big, sexy. Bartolo Cologne. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's what? flawless. The big guy, big gut, short dude. Hit that home run, man. Fucking lost his helmet every time he swung the bat. Big, <laughs> sexy. Um. I think for my last pick, I'm going to go with uh, Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Uh, this one's super basic, but it's still badass every time you hear it. Yeah, I mean, Megatron is just so sick. All right. My final, the final pick of this draft. Going big shot, Bob. Robert Ori. I love this nickname. I like, I remember, like, I rewatched. Um, Camera. I think it was the 2008 NBA Finals. That I could be wrong. 
he might not have been on that team still, but it, it was one of those. And look, Robert Ori, like one of the clutchest three point shooters of all time, was huge for the Lakers during his tenure. But big shot Bob just rolls off the tongue. That's a nice one. Um, are you ready to do some honorable mentions? Yeah, let's let's hit it. There's so, plenty. Yeah, I have uh, the Durantula, Kevin Durant. I was obsessed with this nickname when I was younger because I used to love Kevin Durant when he was on the Thunder. And I just think the Durantula just flows nice. It's a good one. I like that. All right, one of mine. This is just like an absurd one that I found. Uh, so there's this guy. This is his actual name. His name was Johnny Dickshot. It's on his baseball card. His nickname was Ugly. Nice. Johnny Dickshot. His Johnny nickname ugly was Dickshot. Ugly. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty unfortunate both uh, in both aspects there. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, my gosh. Where's the one that I was about to read? Oh, how about Hulk? It's Hulk. Yeah. That's that, his name. That but, was... it, but it's also his nickname. Uh, yeah. And that was just kind of like synonymous with him. He's gigantic. He's built as fuck he's strong as fuck and his shot power is insane uh and i like the nickname hulk a lot (laughs) it's fire all right well at this point i have to go through charles barkley's list here oh yeah because there's one that particularly sticks out to me and it's not the round mound of rebound the the most famous (laughs) of his funny nicknames it's gotta be the crisco kid that shit is funny as fuck (laughs) (laughs) dude like okay all of these are just jokes about him being fat which just tells me how mean the nba media was to him so here's the full list so you've got the round mound of rebound got the crisco kid sir charles one of his other big ones the chuckster the chuck wagon the prince of pizza the incredible bulk the leaning tower of pizza bread truck boy gorge love boat food world the wide load from Leeds, ton of fun, and good time blimp. Wow. It's just fucked up how many of his nicknames are just like, you're fat. <laughs> okay. Um, my, my biggest honorable mention, I guess we can, you know, cap it off here. Um, I'm going to get you, I'm going to see if you can guess this one. This one is a tandem nickname. Two people, right? Ooh. Billy and Ronald Ocean. I I have no idea. I'll be honest. That is Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. What? <laughs> they were calling themselves that in like December of 2018, maybe 17-ish. I can't really remember. But yeah, they went by Billy and Ronald Ocean. That's interesting. Where the fuck did it come from? No clue. <laughs> All right. I got to give two and then we can be done. Uh, okay, okay, cool. One of my favorite ones in the UFC, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Oh, wow. Five foot three, beast in the UFC. Okay. Love that nickname. And then Awesome Bill from Dawsonville, Bill Elliott. Oh, yeah. That one's a good Fantastic one. Fantastic nickname. Yeah, I like that one a lot. All right. Let's get into Do You Remember, and then we will get the hell out of here. Luke, do you remember January 31st, 
2015. Um, an NFL playoff game? No. <laughs> the Philadelphia 76ers come to Atlanta to face the 39-8 and Atlanta Hawks at Phillips Arena. The Hawks get the win 91-85. This was the last win of their historic 19 games won in a row. It's the fifth best win streak of all time in the NBA. So let's go through it real quick. The Hawks were not really seen as like a fantastic team going into this season. The starting lineup consisting of Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll, Al Horford, and Paul Millsap. Well, the entire starting lineup, I believe, maybe Damari Carroll didn't, but I believe the entire starting lineup made the All-Star game. They finished the season 60-22, and 22, got them the first seed in the Eastern Conference over LeBron and Kyrie and the Cavaliers by seven games. Off the bench, they had Dennis Schroeder, Kent Bazemore, and Tabo Cephalosha, who made a huge impact. Paul Millsap was the leading scorer on this team at 16.7 points per game. That is not a lot. <laughs> whatsoever. Not at all. But a more outstanding statistic here is Kyle Korver shooting almost 50% from three. Damn. This is crazy. Have you ever seen the clip where he made like four in a row? Yeah. Yeah. It, he was so good at off-screen three-pointers. Yes. It, it's ridiculous. But like this team was outstanding and it all came to the worst ending ever <laughs> they played the cavaliers in the eastern conference finals they got swept by the cavaliers yes, they, did. they were the first one seed to ever be swept in the playoffs really yes they were the first one seed to, um, I, I believe they were the first one seed to be beaten in the Eastern Conference Finals since like for like the last like six years. Dang. And after that, they just really weren't that good. <laughs> it like all <laughs> fell apart. Wow. Yeah, but they're rebuilding now. I think they are. But they really suck this year. Yeah, they're like a 500 team. Yeah. Just exciting to watch, but not that good. Yeah, but like I'll never forget watching this 2014-2015 Atlanta Hawks team. They were so ridiculous. Jeff Teague, too. Yeah, man. Solid, solid point guard. I like it. My turn? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Grayson. Do you remember... Chelsea's 2012 Champions League run. Sure don't. Let me enlighten you. Group stage, Chelsea drew Bayern, Bayern Leverkusen, Valencia, and Gink. Gink is a, was a top team at Belgium at the time. Of course, you know, now it's like Club Bruges and Antelope, you know, teams like that. But Gink was good at the time. The group stage went like this. 2-0 Chelsea win over Bayern Leverkusen. 1-1 draw with Valencia. 5-0 win uh, versus Gink. 1-1 tie versus Gink. Really surprising game there. 
Then a 1-2 loss to Bayer Leverkusen. Now, at this point, Chelsea are going into their last group stage game. And right now, they're, they're eliminated before this uh, Valencia game coming up. Chelsea win 3-0 over Valencia, go through to the round of 16. Chelsea draw Napoli with Edison Cavani. First leg was a 1-3 loss in Italy for Chelsea, but they had that away goal. The second leg, Chelsea came back to win 4-1. That's a 5-4 aggregate. And I, I, you know, I knew this was going to take a long time to explain, so I actually cut out like what happened in this game. If if you're a viewer listening right now, go and watch Chelsea Napoli in the uh, Champions League of 2012. Insane two legs. Chelsea then draw Benfica in the quarterfinal. Now this one was actually probably the easiest of Chelsea's entire uh, UCL run this year. Chelsea won one nil in the first leg. 2-0 in the second leg. That's a 3-1 aggregate. Chelsea then go to the semifinal, Grayson, and have that infamous semifinal game against Barcelona. The first leg, Chelsea actually won 1-0. The second leg was a 2-2 tie, but Chelsea took an absolute battering the entire game. John Terry even got a red card which would mean that he would miss the final if Chelsea were to go to the Champions League final. This 2-2 leg, of course, we all know how it happens. It gets cleared from a corner kick. Fernando Torres is the only one versus Victor Valdez on that side of the pitch, and he takes it around Valdez and scores in the Camp Nou, sending Chelsea to the Champions League final. In the final, Chelsea would play Bayern Munich in the Allianz Arena. Now, to put all the odds against Chelsea even more, Grayson, they were going to Bayern Stadium for the Champions League final that was chosen as the neutral ground. Bayern just happened to make it. The Allianz Arena was a new state-of-the-art at this time, so the Champions League final was going to be played there in Munich. Um, Bayern, kind of like Barcelona, dominate the entire time of this final. And remember, Chelsea don't have John Terry, who was their captain at the time. Big blow. Bayern go up in the 83rd minute, and I think it was a um, Thomas Muller goal. And then Drogba scores that iconic corner kick where he runs front post and just Neuer has absolutely no chance with the power that Drogba gets on this fucking header. And the 80th, 88th minute to send the game into extra time. As extra time is going on in this final, Drogba accidentally fouls Ian Robin inside the Chelsea box and gives Ian Robin a penalty in extra time. Check saves it. Then it would go on to a penalty shootout, the first ever since Chelsea lost to Manchester United in 2008 in the UCL final. It was the first Champions League final that was going to be decided with a penalty shootout. And Chelsea lost that one horribly. Chelsea were about to win in 2008, and John Terry slipped and missed, and Manchester United, you know, with that iconic team with Van der Sar and Cristiano Ronaldo, beat Chelsea in the Champions League final on penalties. Well, this one played out differently. Drogba scores the final goal, and Chelsea win in what would be Drogba's last game for Chelsea until he would return to the team in, like, 2015 or 16 or something like that, and Chelsea win their first ever Champions League uh, in the history of the club against all odds the entire time, basically. I mean, almost got eliminated, like, four or five times. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I... I'll be honest, had no idea that they even won a Champions League. 
Well, we've won the one recently against Manchester City. Chelsea have only Oh, I do remember that one. Yeah. Okay, I the do. First remember. one came in 2012 against Bayern Munich. Wow. Yeah, that's an insane run. Yeah, I know that was a pretty long story, but that's that's one of my favorite, you know, UCL runs of all time. And of course, I'm a little bit biased, but that Chelsea team, it it wasn't as good as Barcelona. It wasn't as good as Napoli. It wasn't as good as Bayern Munich, but they just couldn't lose. Yeah. Insane run. Maybe I'll have to do one on uh, when Barca won the treble. Yeah, that season was one. ridiculous. Maybe we'll talk so about that at some point. Sure. All right. Anything else you got for the people, Luke? Yeah, Grayson, I think I'm good. All right. Well, I do want to remind everybody, go visit the subreddit. Uh, right as soon as we're done recording here, I'll post the uh, topic here so you guys can give off your top five nicknames. And uh, once again, if you're listening on Apple and Spotify, five stars, make sure you follow the podcast, YouTube, like, and subscribe. Make sure you're following on all the socials. Look out for everything we've got coming. That's going to be it. We'll go see y'all next week. We'll your windows. What was that? I said, go check it out or we'll lick your windows at nighttime. Yeah. I'm not going to, but Luke might. I'm, I'm crazy enough to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll catch y'all next week. Peace. Peace.